Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. Hello, simpletons. You're listening to the Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I'm Ryan Nicodemus. And together, we're the Minimalists. We're here with Malabama. Hi, everybody. TK Coleman. A beautiful day it is. Uh, we got a special guest for you as well. We also have a studio audience here. My beautiful wife, Rebecca, is here. And Jonathan is here as well. They're really hecklers. They're not a studio audience. <laughs> <laughs> If we get out of line at all, it is over for us. <laughs> we got the rest of our team here as well. Jordan Ooh. No More, a.k.a. Jordan No More, <laughs> a.k.a. No, no Jordan No More. <laughs> we got Professor Sean here as well, a.k.a. Audio Sean, Other Sean, Sean 2. <laughs> That's T-W-O or T-O-O. <laughs> yeah, I like the T-O-O. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, Danny Unknown, a.k.a. Today, Danny Uncontained. Oh, yeah. I was thinking Danny Undefeated. Oh. <laughs> Danny like Unorthodox. <laughs> <laughs> Danny Uncompromising. Danny Untucked. <laughs> but only for the private podcast. <laughs> Let's just do a whole podcast on the different nicknames we can come up with. <laughs> with Danny. Only on the private podcast. Yeah. We'll give you 20 more Dannys. <laughs> <laughs> today, today we're going to talk a lot about decluttering your home clutter, avoiding clutter at home, organizing your home, and of course, the best way to organize your stuff is to get rid of most of it. We're going to talk a lot about that today. Shout out to our Patreon subscribers. Your support keeps our podcast and YouTube channel 100% advertisement-free because advertisements suck. Let's start with our callers today. If you have a question or comment for our podcast, give us a call, 406-219-7839, or email a voice memo to podcast at theminimalists.com. Let us know that you're a Patreon subscriber so we can prioritize your message. Our first question today is from Trinity. I'm Trinity from Eugene, Oregon. I've noticed when trying to style my space, I start feeling like I need to acquire decor and pieces that show that style but then things start to feel cluttered. Is there a way to style my home without adding more possessions? Joining us in the studio today to help us tackle this question is Kristen Ziegler from Minima Online. Kristen is a professional organizer and she understands better than anyone that the best way to organize your stuff is to get rid of most of it. Kristen, thank you so much for joining us today. Happy to be here. Oh, so let's talk to Trinity specifically. Quite often when we get a space, well, what do we feel compelled to do. We feel compelled to fill it with stuff and especially stuff that shows my personality, <laughs> right? And now you work with a lot of clients on their homes and I know people want to communicate their personality, but one of the worst ways to do that is by acquiring a bunch of things. How would you talk to Trinity if she came to you and your business and said, hey, I really need help with all of this clutter that I'm beginning to form in my life? Yeah. So I feel like authentic style can't be contrived. So um, I would just focus on identifying the things that are either useful or beautiful. And I would even go so far as to say necessary. So my, um, my best solution is merge form and function. Even the necessary things are a chance for you to show your, I would say preferences and priorities is a better word than style. Because I think that 
um, that gets at the authenticity of who you are as a person, which can't be contrived versus style, to me is more of a surface level thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. So when I think about my home or I think about someone else's home, quite often it tells me about who they are if there's a bunch of excess. Mm-hmm. And what I often tell people is when in doubt, subtract. Yes. It's not about adding more because like, oh, you know, it feels a little bit like me, but it's a little bit chaotic. Maybe if I add just a little bit more, a little here, a little there. And before you know it, you have all of this excess. Yeah. There isn't a whole lot of function. There's a lot of form. Yeah. And it just starts getting in the way. Yeah. So I feel like... um organization without minimizing is like form without function. Mm-hmm. And I, I've been reading this book called Subtract by Leedy Klotz. Yeah. Have you heard of it? Yes. Yeah, I figured. Um, and I think there's such a missed opportunity through subtraction in, in problem solving. I think instinctually, like biologically, we go to adding. Even I, like we just moved in September and I even catch myself doing it. That space feels off. I need to add a picture. I need to add a vase. I need to add a thing. And every single time, this requires, the approach of subtraction requires a lot more time and patience. Mm. But I always tell my clients, there's no rush. It took me seven years to get our last house exactly how I wanted it. And that's, and then I moved. (laughs) 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 Time for a new project. That's another conversation. (laughs) So let me ask you with respect to someone like, like Trinity, if she does feel like, oh, this space feels a little empty. Now, obviously, Trinity, you are complete even in an empty room. Absolutely. But if you walk into a room and you're like, oh, there's something off about this. It does feel empty. Yeah. What what kind of questions do you ask? Uh, So my architect brain um, wants to say, like, um, how can you possibly rearrange or reimagine the things that are already in the space? Uh Usually... I'll go big when something feels off in a space, like completely change it up and play and really let go of my attachments to the way it is. And usually the end result that feels balanced is really similar to where I started, but there's a few subtle tweaks that I discovered, which I couldn't have if I hadn't let go, let let go and explored a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know how interior designers like plan the whole space out and then do I feel like there's so much magic in the in the doing like the design build approach. I love your observation that authentic style can't be contrived. And I was going to ask you, well, can you say more about that? And then you followed it up with saying, (laughs) focus more on what you prefer rather than on what seems stylish. And it sounds like you're saying, hey, what feels good? What functions well? Rather than what you think is going to look cool to someone else. Because you can't control that. You can't control that. Yeah, not at all. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. really nice. I'm, yeah. I am not an interior designer, but like I'm thinking about how I would approach the situation. I mean, obviously, Trinity likes some stuff, you know, some decorations. Um, you can't have all the decorations, as Trinity pointed out, because then you feel overwhelmed. Yeah. Would it be a good approach? Like, I don't know, maybe set a boundary of like uh, a couple things and like see how those two things look in that room or even like maybe start with nothing. Just start with like a wall. Can you do an accent wall like paint it or wallpapered or something. I don't know. I'm just trying to think of what they did back in the 90s when I worked for my dad, uh, <laughs> my dad's painting and wallpaper business. Yeah. It seems like you could add some things more intentionally rather than trying to put all the things in there. And Yeah. And I think that goes back to the process of simplifying is identifying the things that really spark a feeling for you or add value to your life and working with those things. Mm. Um, but yeah, I always like to... Um, bring plants into a space, like natural elements. Ooh, yeah. Um, 
I think you can have too many plants though, but yeah. <laughs> it, it, yeah, yeah, well, definitely. What, I, what I've noticed with the spaces, your own space tends mm-hmm. to be more minimal than maybe a lot of the people you work with. Than all of the people I work with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it could be that they don't have an aspiration necessarily to get down to the more stark level. Right. Um, yeah. And that's okay. I mean, uh, later in this episode, in fact, uh, Trinity, I'd love to send you, if you're not a Patreon supporter, every week on Fridays, we do a minimalist home tour. And this week, we are actually going to do, we're going to take a look at my living space. And it's really stark. It's even more stark than yours, but I don't prescribe that to anyone. Right. And what I love about what you do is you're not prescribing that either. This is what's ideal for me, and it is one recipe. It's a template exactly. upon which you can add, you can subtract. And uh, when you work with people, you don't say, well, you need to get down to this particular level. No, absolutely not. Mm. So my company's name, Minima, is actually a calculus term. Um, I'm a huge math nerd, Mm. and but I also love art, so that's why I studied architecture. But Minima is the lowest value on a function curve. And so I always say, I want to help our clients get to their Minima, and that's different for everyone. I'm all the way down, I feel like, you know, and you're all the way, like, at the bottom of the curve. But (laughs) not everybody wants to be there, and I feel like... Even if I can impart a little bit of minimalist wisdom, I've done my job. I'm not going to say, well, you have failed and I fire you as a client because you kept too much stuff. I mean, <laughs> yeah. that that's not helpful. So, yeah. 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 Well, you know, it reminds me of those articles about CEOs who read one book a week. The lesson to be taken from that isn't to stress yourself out about reading as much as the CEOs, but like, hey, maybe I could read more. Yeah, I'm right. inspired yeah. by this. I want to, yeah. you know, take a little bit from that and see how it can improve my life. So one question for you. So let's say with with Trinity's situation, maybe she has a chair or a Mm -hmm. picture, some cherished piece of furniture that really worked for the old place. Mm -hmm. She gets into the new place. And what if it just doesn't fit with the style of what she wants to do? Does she have to get get rid of it? Or what do you do? Um, I would give it some time. But I personally, I am very adaptive to the space that I live in. I think a lot of people have this idea about forcing uh, their needs or their you know, specific vision onto a space, I think the best um, result is when we look at our space and think about a harmonious relationship. Like, oh, this space has these beautiful windows. I don't want to block it, crowd it out with a bunch of clutter. Just kind of leaning in, asking the space what it wants to be. Mm -hmm. Um, Does this space uh, serve your purpose with that chair in it or not? Um, That's only something that she can figure out. Mm. Hmm. It's interesting. Like, I don't really crave to put anything on the walls or, mm-hmm. and, and my wife is the same exact way. But it's funny, like, we'll get these things in our lives. Like, uh, her dad is an artist and he gave us like a couple of nice paintings of Montana. Um, Josh gave us an awesome picture of me and Mariah from 10 years ago. We're so old, dude. Anyway, <laughs> um, it was a beautiful picture, beautifully framed. Um, I had a friend who I it, it sent me a painting, but like, I get these things and I'm like, oh, wow, like, I'm compelled to put this on the wall and find a spot for it. So then I kind of make it work with the room. We have a lot of plants in there. Um, But yeah, I wish I had that, that vision of what I wanted to do with my space. It's more like kind of people will offer me something and I'm like, oh yeah, I could totally see that like going up on the wall. That's beautiful. Or no, thanks. Um, Thanks for the offer though. Yeah. Yeah. So when someone like Ryan comes to you, Chris, and they're like, I just don't have the vision for this. I know Mm -hmm. I really appreciate what you, how you've curated your space. And while I may not be that, strict with my own space, I'm not able to curate my own vision, how I even want this place to look. I've got certain things, things that I like, things that I've owned for a while, and some things may work in the space, some some things not. What's your process of sort of going through the home? Yeah. Um, so I feel like 
defining your vision, Mm -hmm. it's maybe not something you can always do from the outset. It requires a little bit of discovery and play and, and, you know, maybe putting that picture that was gifted up on the wall and then deciding that doesn't feel right. And what feels right to you might not feel right to someone else, Mm -hmm. but it only really matters if it feels right to you. Mm -hmm. I think just experimenting and playing and and not being afraid to put holes in the wall. Mm -hmm. It's just paint. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And just, just doing it. Yeah. Yeah, I think the experimentation piece is really important here because as soon as you set it, it's not set forever. It's not fixed. Nothing in life is, right? Right. (laughs) And and so you got to a, uh, you you got to a end point with your space where you felt like you had perfected it, Mm -hmm. where it was done. Your your space was done. And then you decide, oh, it's time to move. (laughs) And the things that worked in that previous space, unless your new space looks nearly identical. Nothing like it. Yeah. And so they may not work. Yeah. And so being willing to let go of those things we hold on to from the past, and they may have a sort of sentimental resonance with us. And so we hold on to them, even though they don't work anymore. Right. They've ceased to add value. In fact, quite often what happens when we hold on and it's getting in the way, it actually drains the value from our life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, I also, yeah, I think it's really important to be able to let go of things during a move or as your life changes. Um, sometimes a fresh set of eyes too can kind of come in. If, if you're not sure, you could ask for feedback. <laughs> Take it or leave it. You know, mm-hmm. it's your space. Yeah. Um, I also look for pieces uh, that are flexible. So I invested in this hay sofa that I love. And I was really hoping it was going to fit into the new house. And the good news is that it did, but I was ready to sell it if it didn't. But it's modular. So mm-hmm. I could take a piece out of the middle and it could get smaller if it needed to. So things that are flexible, that are not so specific to a space, especially if it's more of an investment, yeah. are good things to look for. Yeah. I always call Josh. I'll just send him a picture. I'll be like, yeah. hey, does this look all right? Does this look okay? <laughs> Whether it's my outfit or like something I'm hanging on the wall or yeah. Like, can we do this for minimal uh, home tour? Is this a good picture? <laughs> Uh, next week, by the way, uh, I've seen some beautiful pictures of your previous home. Yeah. I'd love to feature that uh, for our patrons oh, as well. Yeah. So every week we do this this weekly minimalist home tour. Our patrons will send in things. In fact, last week we had the most beautiful kitchen I've ever seen. Was it? I think it was in Estonia. It's pretty gorgeous. gorgeous. Yeah. It was amazing. But the art was the view from the kitchen. Yeah. I mean, it was like as soon as you, you saw out the window... And uh, for someone like Ryan, who doesn't want to put a bunch of things on the wall, or someone like me or my wife, Bex, we don't put anything on the walls generally. And and I, I think that's that allows us to keep it simple mm-hmm. because we feel compelled to constantly, as soon as you have a blank wall, I should fill this with something. Mm-hmm. But then when I see a space like your space, there's plenty of blank walls and it doesn't look empty. It looks calm. It looks peaceful. It looks stunning. Thank you. And when I see someone's home with a whole bunch of things on the wall, it can be intentional. It can be well curated. Mm -hmm. But more often than not, it's just like, hey, I need to throw something up here. Yeah. And then it just becomes clutter. It's not intentional. Um, So I feel like, so I identify as very visually sensitive. I'm sure some some of y'all here do as well. (laughs) Have you heard of highly sensitive? Yeah, my, my wife's a highly sensitive person. So is my daughter. So am I. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, and it manifests itself largely in the visual sense. So I have an uncle who I wrote about in your class, actually, uh, okay. who's a total maximalist. And I can appreciate his space because that's what works for him. That's the amount of things that feel right for his sensitivity. Mm. But for me, I couldn't live that way because mm. it would stress me out. But that's literally just how I'm like my physio- physiology is mm. wired. Yeah, I think about my, my mom. She was a maximalist, but mm-hmm. she had great style. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think of people like Axel Vavort, who's a great interior designer. And 
but he's a he, he really appreciates objects more than I do. There, yeah. There's a lot of form there, and they may not have a particular function, but they have an aesthetic value and a beauty to him that it's really hard to pull off if you're just willy-nilly grabbing random objects. Yeah. You could tell he's not doing it. There's something intentional behind it. My mom did the same thing. She had a lot of stuff, but it was intentional. And I applaud that. If you're being intentional with very few things or you're being intentional with a lot of things, Mm -hmm. it's not going to stress you out because you are constantly questioning the objects in your home. Mm. Yeah, and I think it's actually more of a challenge to create beauty with less but I love the challenge. Mm. Um, I think it's easier to make a space feel complete by adding, but I thrive from, from asking myself how few things can I have? Because for me, it's less to maintain. It's less money to spend, um, less decisions. Decision fatigue is real. That's part of minimalism for me. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think that you know, again, going back to the beginning of our conversation, our home is a manifestation of our inner world. And it can be beautifully curated in a maximalist way or a minimalist way or somewhere in between. But yeah, for me, I've learned that um, the maximalist would stress me out. You often help help people unpack their homes as well. Mm -hmm. I assume that's during a move where someone's moving and it's like, I don't even know what to do with all this stuff. Yeah. Now, when you're unpacking, do you quite often get rid of most of the things that are being unpacked? I don't know about most. I think the percentage probably varies client to client, but it's such a great opportunity. You have to touch the thing anyway. Like, let's decide if it's going to go in your Mm -hmm. cabinet or closet or out the door with us. Yes. So. Yeah, and it's not about you getting rid of their stuff. No. It's about them making that decision. Yeah. And maybe you can ask the questions that facilitate That's just it, yes. the letting go. So so much of our work is just asking the right questions. Mm. We can't tell someone what's right or wrong for them. We can just find the right questions to ask. Do you have yeah. some of your favorite questions you see come up again and again with clients? Oh, yeah. So, um, gosh, I have a whole list in a blog post. Um, I think, do you love this thing? Are you keeping it because you should keep it? Do you have another thing that could serve the same purpose? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, like with, it depends on the category too. Like with clothing, does it fit? Do you love it? Does it suit your current lifestyle? Or is it part of like some past corporate career that you're not in anymore? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, just also like asking the space, what does it want to be? And respecting the boundaries of that space. Like, okay, we've minimized based on these factors, but it doesn't fit. So we need to do another pass so that you can live comfortably here. Yeah. I love that because yeah, everyone has different preferences. In fact, some people, because of the paradox of choice, they want a list of all the things they should have. Yeah. And asking those questions, it's, you're really helping that person discover their own preferences. Yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah. it's such a huge discovery process. Um, I have a client who started working with us um, to declutter her home and um, she did that. And then a couple, she's become a good friend. And a couple years later, she called me up and she's like, um, our work together has finally inspired me to get my finances in order because I had that clarity. And then a couple years later, she said, I'm finally getting my health in order. And I've, I've created a capsule wardrobe because everything's in flux. So I need it to be really simple. And I was like, that's amazing. Yeah. Just the way that it has a ripple effect. And yeah. That's well, cool. That willingness to let go. Mm-hmm. when repeated and it becomes habitual, not that you should make it a habit, but if you let go, you let go, you keep asking those questions. I remember when I first started letting go, I asked the same question over and over with every object mm-hmm. until it became a feeling, not just an intellectual exercise. Exactly. And that question was, does this thing add value to my mm-hmm. life? Mm-hmm. And I asked that, does this thing add value to my life? Does this thing add value to my life? Does this thing add value? And the more I asked it, 
I could just start to look at an object and know like, oh no, yeah, yeah. that's excess. Yeah. yeah, same. Trinity, thank you so much for your question. Our next question is from Greg in Tampa, Florida. This is Greg calling from Tampa, Florida. So my house is, it's kind of a disaster. Pretty much everything is just messy enough that I know I really need to just declutter and purge, but it's not bad enough to keep me from like functioning or finding things. Like I'm not a hoarder, but it is enough stuff that it kind of stresses me out when people come over. And I would just love to, you know, be more organized overall as a person. So where do I start with that? Like, how do you become a quote unquote organized person? Kristen, I I love this question. How do I become an organized person? I don't think being an organized person is really the goal, though, because you can organize everything and still have a bunch of stuff. It's just not messy anymore. It is true that a messy home is sort of a sign of dysfunction. I'm not using that morally. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, Mm -hmm. but having a messy home is a symptom of something else, it seems like. It can be, yeah. And so I think what does it mean to be organized to you? Like what I think that like you were talking about adding value and that that was your question that you asked. I always like to ask my clients, why are we here? What is your bigger goal? Do you want to feel, get better sleep, more time with your family, a stress-free morning routine, whatever it is, it could be small, it could be big, figuring out what that is. So for the caller, what is his why? Mm-hmm. And once you really know that, and again, part of going through the decision-making process, your why is going to become more clear. Mm-hmm. So it might be kind of loose and ethereal at first, then it's going to get more crystallized as you go through and continue to mm-hmm. let go. I also would argue that disorganization is not always, like the way we would see disorganization and clutter is not always a sign of dysfunction. I asked my father-in-law for permission to use his, him as an example today. Uh, he's a retired a middle school English teacher and his wife and my husband and I have tried to organize his desk so many times. <laughs> and within days, he didn't ask us to. So that's the key. <laughs> yes. Within yeah. days, it was back to, you know, square one. But I don't feel like he's a dysfunctional person. He's one of like the people I admire most in the world. He's so smart and always sharing knowledge with people and always like caring for the ones he loves. So I feel like for him, trying to keep a system that would look organized to us would actually slow him down. So the the more I get, get into my work, the more I'm learning that I think when I first started off, I was like, this is the way minimalism, you're keeping too much. I know it. (laughs) (laughs) What I've realized is you don't expect your clients to become minimalists. And what you've learned there, you said your father-in-law? Yeah. Yeah. So what you've learned from your father-in-law is that the thing that is messy to you may not be messy to him. Yeah. So there's no dysfunction there because it's not messy no. to him, even though if it was your space, it would be dysfunctional for yeah. you. So mm. it's highly individual. It is. His yeah. visual sensitivity is not on the level that mine is. So to, he doesn't see that. Um, we also talk about like clutter thresholds. Everybody has a different one. Mm. Um, so mm-hmm. I think his clutter threshold is a lot higher. I think the only time it causes any issues is if his wife is like, Come on, time to clean up. <laughs> you know, she's very tidy, but. Yeah. Oh, man. I, I like to do like a, a little wordplay with order. Yeah. You can think of order as something being in its proper place, but also order as a command, right? Mm. And so something that you're being compelled to do. And mm. so the way you get ordered with your things 
is by paying attention to the orders that are coming from your soul. What are yeah. you compelled yeah. to do from within? That's good. And that helps you get organized from without. And one of the things I hear in Greg's question is this tension that's coming up when people come over to visit. And it seems like there's a connection there that that's part of his why, that he mm. likes having company. He likes playing host. And this is when it bothers him. But when he's alone, oh, I can kind of deal with it and manage it. So, hey, it could be a way to work that angle by saying, I'm going to throw a party or have someone over. I'm just going to have company over. Game night, dinner, coffee, tea, conversation. doesn't have to be oriented around things. And I'm going to do that once a week or mm. once every other week or once a month. Enough to create that consistent pain point to where I am motivated to get my place situated in a way that's conducive to how I really want to live in it. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. It's funny. You said the clutter threshold. Yeah. That threshold. is. So uh, mine is probably a little higher than Josh's. I don't know if you know this or not, but my nickname is the messy minimalist. I do. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, you know, my wife and I don't have a lot of stuff, but like, I'm really bad at like putting it away. It's like, if I take my jacket off, it's like going on the couch. Mm -hmm. If I get mail, like I'll put it on the counter. I'm like, I'll get to that later. And of course, you know, later turns into tomorrow and I add to that pile. So, uh, I mean, I try to catch myself in those moments and I get better and better at, at it over time. But Greg, I can tell you as a recovering messy minimalist, uh, commit to putting things away. When you take them, if you take your shoes off, put them right where they belong. When you take your coat off, put them right where they belong. It's funny because I, since I've been doing this, sometimes I'll forget. I'm like, oh, where's my jacket? Oh, I'm like, oh, it's in the closet. That's right. I put it away. <laughs> why the, Mariah, why is my jacket where it's supposed to be? Exactly. Exactly. It is, but it's funny because what happens is, is like I will, you know, have stuff here and there. And then I hit my clutter threshold. And I'm like, okay. It's time to, it's time to put everything away now. I can't mm -hmm. stand this anymore. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, the funny thing about Ryan, he actually owns less stuff than I do. It just <laughs> looks like he owns more things. He owns 14 things, but they're strewn everywhere. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Strategically. <laughs> and I remember we were roommates together uh, way back, a long time mm -hmm. ago in Montana. And uh, yeah, he would just come home and not think, he didn't have that same visual sensitivity, right? Yeah. But his why was like, oh, I don't want to frustrate the other people in the house. Mm -hmm. And so quite often understanding what that why is for you if you don't have that because clearly Greg doesn't have that sensitivity. No. And that's okay. You don't have to have it. You sh it's not that you should have it, right? But if there's something that's bothering you, it probably means you have a little bit of excess. And if it's a little messy to you, the way you can achieve calm because decluttering isn't going to make you happier, but a lot of excess might make you significantly more discontented. Mm. And so it's this weird dichotomy because we often think if I just clean up my house, now I'm going to be perfect. I'm going to be happy. I'm going to mm -hmm. be complete. Well, yep. no, but the best way to incomplete yourself is to heap a bunch of excess on mm. there that just gets in your way. You're yeah. either literally tripping over it or you're psychologically tripping over it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like when I feel like the clutter in our space is this constant distraction, like, like notifications on your phone. Ooh. And yeah, when when my client that I was describing before cleared that, she was able to identify all these other things in her life that weren't working. Mm -hmm. um, so I think if you if you start there, you, you're faced to deal with yourself, and so that's where the inner work often begins. Mm -hmm. um, after the outer work is complete. Yeah, I got another question here. This one is from Beatrix. This is Beatrix calling from Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Um, I recently got a set of real swords for my aunt that I have been really excited to showcase in my home. But the problem is I live with three other roommates and this makes them a little uncomfortable. 
We all try to make sure everyone's personalities gets recognized in the common spaces so it doesn't feel like we're living in a dorm, but they just aren't as excited to have these on display as I am. I'd hang them up in my room, but then if anyone comes over, they wouldn't really get to see them. Is there a way we can um, compromise so we can get to enjoy showing them off without upsetting my roommates? And if not, what are some more secure ways to display weapons so that they look more beautiful and less dangerous? <laughs> well, Beatrix, clutter is often a weapon we use to harm ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say it. You got three swords, three roommates. Do the math. <laughs> I, I like to pull back because I can see with Beatrix here, she's like, I really get value from these things. Why doesn't everyone get the same sort of value. Why doesn't everyone like these the same way I do, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there could be other things. Someone could be really into taxidermy. But if when Ryan and I live together, I wouldn't want him putting dead cats on my wall. <laughs> and That's my favorite thing to taxidermy, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, if you put them in your freezer, you're a hoarder. If you put them in your wall, you're a collector, right? right? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Oh, shoot. And so I think what is the thing that is so absurd? Like, clearly, if any of your roommates started smearing crap on your wall, (laughs) you would say, hey, this is way too far. We would all say this is ridiculous, right? And I'm not saying your swords are crap, but I'm saying to your roommates, it's effectively the same thing to them. Now, there's another component here because just like the crap would be dangerous to smear on the wall, Mm. some of your roommates might just be afraid to like, oh, this is a... This is a weapon. This seems unsafe. Mm. Have you ever come across someone in your practice who is wanting to display things that makes other people uncomfortable? Maybe they would make me and my team uncomfortable. Like we come across guns and weapons and all kinds of paraphernalia. Um, I think beauty is just, it's subjective. Mm. So what's beautiful to her, the swords may not be beautiful to her roommates. And it may just be a matter of waiting until she has a space that she has more control over and then doing what she wants. I remember when I bought my first house, um, I learned from experience that I need to be very clear with the roommates that I was vetting that I don't want you to change anything downstairs. Do whatever you want in your room, but this is the way it is and this is my expectation. And I actually attracted people who appreciated that. Yes. And, and they exist. So um, yeah, once, once maybe she has a little more freedom with her space. Yeah. That'd be the right time. I, I heard the, the question of like, how can I change my roommate's preferences? And like, yeah, you, you cannot. In fact, the more you force it, like the the more they're going to hold on to their preferences. Yeah. But I, th- I mean, I think about Josh and I who, um, y- yeah, if I had some swords, I don't think I would like, but if I did, I would never go to Josh or with a taxidermied cat mm-hmm. and be like, hey, can I put this in our, in our comment space? Because I know that that isn't his preference and I would not try to like talk him into anything. However, what I will say is by respecting our space like that, or especially our common spaces, if anything ever did come on where I really was like, hey, man, this is really important to me. Would you be willing to like, you know, compromise or work something out with me? Josh probably would because I have gone way out of my way to respect everything up to that point. So for uh, for Beatrix here, I would say keep uh, supporting your friends' preferences as much as you can. And maybe one day they will, uh, you know, agree to like, yeah, you know what, Beatrix, go ahead and bring those swords out. But hey, look, if they're in your, in your room, it's no, it's it's no, uh, it's no problem to have a friend come over and be like, hey, let me show you something real cool. Let me show you something yeah. my, my aunt sent me. This is really cool. Like, it, just display it, show it off, you know? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. 
You know, I often find that the happiest and healthiest people are those who are really clear with themselves Mm -hmm. about what they want. And Mm -hmm. they know how to make that clear. Like Mm -hmm. your scenario where you said, change anything upstairs, but don't change anything that's in the basement. And usually people who are like that, they've been through some stuff Mm -hmm. to get there. (laughs) You don't just come out of the womb like, hey, I know everything that I want and how to communicate it effectively. You usually have clashes with people that you love. You have lots of disappointments and setbacks. And each of those experiences is a kind of education that helps you get clearer with yourself about how you want to create the future. And so I like that aspect of your advice that said, it may be the case that you'll have to wait until you get your own place or maybe even accelerate whatever that exit strategy is so that you can get your own place and be able to do what you want. Sometimes the solution is take that inconvenience as an opportunity to learn more about how you want to live your life and then try to figure out a way to set your life up in a way so that you have the freedom to do what you want to do in your own place. You know, I think the often the cost of admission what, what TK is saying here, the cost of admission for living with these roommates is you can't have swords on the walls. Mm-hmm. And you just have to understand that is the cost of admission with living with them. Or the cost of admission for having swords on your walls meaning means you can't have these particular roommates. Mm. And maybe you can attract roommates in the future who are also sword aficionados and they enjoy swashbuckling with you or sword swallowing or whatever <laughs> activities that you enjoy. And that's wonderful. But when Ryan and Colin and I were all roommates, roommates way back in in Missoula, uh, back in 2012, uh, 2013, we had one rule and it was nothing goes on the walls. Mm -hmm. And so that was just simple. We didn't have to discuss anymore. Once we knew that that was our boundary, it was a boundary that was there for all of us. And we knew, and we could set up other boundaries. I didn't want to get too strict about boundaries, but we knew that we all had different tastes, different preferences. So how about nothing goes on the walls of our common space? If you want to put up, you know, your Spuds McKenzie poster in your bedroom, <laughs> then you can do that, Ryan. I just stayed in my closet. <laughs> We're learning a lot about what Ryan Spud loves to McKenzie. do. <laughs> what a throwback. <laughs> but quite often, I think the the key to to bring out here is what is clutter to your roommates is not clutter to you. Mm. And so you may inadvertently harm someone with your clutter. I mean, literally with the swords, but figuratively, you might harm them in the sense that like you you are you're making it less enjoyable to be in the shared space. I think we often see that in a roommate scenario. Mm-hmm. Roommates often do things that aren't wrong for them, but it's wrong for me. It it exceeds or doesn't meet my expectations. And now I'm discontented because I created this expectation. Often, by the way, I didn't even communicate this expectation <laughs> with you. I just had it internally. And now you put the swords up on the wall and I'm like, oh, I can't believe mm-hmm. Ryan would do this. And we never even had the conversation about it. Mm. It sounds to me like she's had the conversation and bravo for that. But you realize that, yeah, you can display them in your room or you can display them in your next home whenever whenever you end up there. Yeah. We have another question here. This one is from Luke. My name's Luke. I'm from Southern Indiana, right across the river from Louisville. And I just watch uh, on YouTube uh, Living Room Conversations the one titled, How Do You Get Rid of Things You Might Need in the Future? And I am in the process of building a home right now, and I just can't decide whether I should have an extra room because I don't have a lot of things, and it's just going to be me. But there's always a question in the back of my mind, what if I need this in the future? But I can't decide whether to build it or not. 
Kristen, just in case are the three most dangerous words in the English language. He's looking for a whole just in case room here. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Should I buy or should I build this home? Which, by the way, this is a great time to be asking this question. Mm-hmm. But should I build this home with an extra room just in case I might want to fill it with someone or something in the future? Ryan, it reminds me of from our first documentary, Minimalism. The architect that we interviewed, Mm. Frank, he's a minimalist architect in Tucson. And what I loved about him, he said, I don't ask people, do you want an extra room? Do you want two living rooms? Do you want a three-car garage? Do you want a breakfast nook and a dining room? Because everyone says, yes, 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 (laughs) more, more, more. Give me more space, more uh, to fill with more things, right? And instead he said, he he asked people, how do you live your life? Mm -hmm. And if The answer to that question is, well, I need an extra room in my home because of X, Y, or Z. I need to store this equipment in there. Or I need an extra room because I have a recording studio that I've always wanted to build. Well, guess what? At that point, it's no longer an extra room. It is functional. Mm. Yeah, exactly. So I would ask this person, can you, because it does, I hear I might need this someday from my clients all the time. And I have this saying Uh, don't let your past or possible future drown out your now. Most people who call me have done that. They're trapped in the present because they have too many keepsakes, too many I might need it some days. Um, So yeah, if if the caller can't identify an actual reason, then no, you don't need the extra room. Mm. But if you can, then then sure. And I would also ask like, how would that room affect the overall design and flow of the house? And if it's taking away from it, don't. Mm. Yeah. You know, I I like the... uh, with the I might need this someday, making a distinction between I might need this someday and I hope I need this someday. Mm-hmm. You know, are, are you playing around with a hypothetical or a hope, right? Mm-hmm. Do you want to need it someday? If you want to need it someday, then that might be a good reason to yeah. build a room. But we can always imagine like outlandish scenarios mm-hmm. where we'll need something. Yeah. You know, one other question I, I'd recommend asking is, what's the cost of being wrong? Like, assume that there is an object of right and wrong to this question. What's the cost of it? Mm-hmm. So let's say the right answer here is you ought to build that room. Suppose you don't. And then a day happens in the future where you do need a room. What's the cost of that to you? How big is that inconvenience? Is it something you can live with or can't live with? Or what if the right decision is to not build that new room? Right. And it's the other way around or whatever it may be. Sometimes we experience exaggerated stress over things because we haven't contemplated very carefully. What's the cost of being wrong if there is a right or wrong to this? You know, it's like I don't stress about buying the wrong toaster. Right. Because Mm -hmm. the cost of being wrong is so low. I don't stress about buying a cup of coffee that I happen to not like because the cost of wrong is, is so low. And so I would consider that as well. And with great emphasis on the why, you know, is it something you might need or something you hope you'll need? Yeah. And there's really no way to know what the right answer is until you've done it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We all make mistakes and you just have to make a decision with the information that you have at that time. Mm. Yeah. You can't, you can't plan for all the the just in case things. Mm -mm. For me, like, so if I was in his his position, a just in case room would probably turn into a just in case storage room where I'm like, okay, I don't need that room right now. So I can put everything that uh, doesn't fit wherever in there. So when I do need it, now I've got a different problem because I have all these other just in case items Uh in this just in case room. It's Um, a junk room. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) But uh, TK, you bring up a good point because really what I hear you saying is, is it just in case or is it just for when? And if it's just for when, 
if it's something that you do see coming down the road, then build it, man. Mm -hmm. But if not, like just in case that I I certainly wouldn't do that to myself. And the cost of adding an additional room, I mean, people, you know, add to their homes all the time. It sounds like he might be building it himself. So even better, he knows how to do this. So uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's just in case is a slippery slope. It really is. And Ryan, do you remember when I moved into, right when my marriage ended, I moved into this condo downtown Dayton and it was a two bedroom condo. It was the only one that was available at the yeah. time. And I didn't need two bedrooms. So oh, that yeah. second bedroom, do you remember what was in it? It was the tickle room with the tickle chair. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, man. I, I, you got to clarify because no, so, so I'm not going to let you let my boy sound that creepy. <laughs> no, it was pretty creepy. So, uh, but I, he said, no, he set it up on purpose. It was funny. Like I went over to help him uh, put together uh, some furniture that he got from Ikea. And I look in this empty room and there's nothing in there except like a chair right in the middle of the room. <laughs> I'm like, dude, what? Is this like a torture room? He's like, no, it's a tickle room. <laughs> so Ryan and I, we go really far to play jokes on each yes, other. Yeah. And so I'm like, sit down, Ryan, sit down in the tickle chair. <laughs> he never did. No. But if you would have, you would have laughed so hard. Um, oh, but I, I'm thinking about, well, back to Luke's question specifically. I imagine he's in New Albany, Indiana, if you're mm. right outside Louisville. Um and and so when you're building this house, let's say you're building a thousand square foot house. Bex's and my home is like 1,500 square feet. And let's say you have only 1,500 square feet. Well, now you actually have a choice. Building this extra room is going to cost you space mm. in your main home. I mean, I guess we could probably fit five bedrooms into our three bedroom house, but it would feel really cramped all of a sudden. And it would be inappropriate. And so the question I often ask is, is this the most appropriate use of this space? And quite often the answer is no. And if the answer is no, then I don't need to fill it. Or in this case, I don't need to build that extra space. Mm. If I would rather use that space, just have a more open concept living room and dining area and kitchen altogether. I don't need to wall off everything because when you do that, that that's another type of clutter. Mm. Let's move on to some social media questions, y'all. We've got a question here from Elena on Facebook. I work from home, but I don't have a separate room for my office. How can I organize my workspace when I have to share a room with the rest of the family? I think this ties in with the last question we were just talking about with Luke. Quite often we build these walls that are unnecessary. Walls are about type of boundary, but you don't always have to build a wall or erect a fence to create a boundary, mm. right? And so um, you work from home, but you have a shared workspace. I know Professor Sean does the same thing. He works from home quite a bit. And his partner also works from home quite a bit. And they tend to share a space together. Do you have any lessons or best practices from that? I don't know. We really like it. Uh, we work with our backs to each other. Mm. which helps. I don't know. I, I don't think we, we toyed with the idea of being like side by side or across from each other. But uh, I think working with our backs to each other really helps. And then actually my partner has a uh, a light that I bought her that she can stick up on the bookshelf that's next to her. And she turns that on. And I think it's purple. And when it's purple, it's kind of a do not disturb. Oh, nice. Oh, that's genius. We need that. Yeah. We share an office and we actually face each other, but we have like a little felt screen. Yeah. And he'll be on a call and like, so I don't always know my schedule is more organic and I don't always know when not to interrupt him. So yeah. we need that. 
the one thing I'll, I'll say about Sean and his partner is they, they'd they have their own separate desks. And it's like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like that's kind of your workspace is your desk and uh, her workspace is, is, is her desk. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's important, but also being in a room that's shared, if you have radically different tastes, that sometimes just won't work and you need to be able to retreat to your own space. And so the question is, if you have a radically different taste or your needs are so considerably different from everyone else in home, is there a place to which you can retreat? I mean, you Mm -hmm. hear about writers all the time, Stephen King writing his first several books in a laundry room, essentially a closet. When we first started the Minimalist Podcast, we started it in a janitor's closet at the (laughs) University of Montana. Uh, They let us rent it out for 120 bucks a month. And uh, and we rented out for, we just got all the supplies and stuff out of there, shoved a, a desk in there and a couple chairs and started recording. Why did we do that? Because we needed a space for us to create. I have a friend who, for the longest time, was just renting a small little office above a bar in downtown Grand Rapids because he needed a place to go when he was writing books Mm -hmm. and he didn't have that space available at home. And so he found a way to do that relatively inexpensively because the cost for him was worth the output that he would get otherwise. Mm -hmm. Now, when Kristen, when you, when you walk walk through someone's home and it's all shared space and they work from home and a lot more people are working from home now yeah. and clutter really clutters our workspace as well. Whenever I work from home, I have to shut the door because I can always find a dozen things to do. Oh, I've got to fold the laundry or oh, I forgot to wash those towels or, you know what, I remember seeing some dust on the counter. <laughs> I can do a million things that will keep me from working, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you talk to people about their work from home workspaces, as more and more people are working, what do you tell them? Uh, I love that you use the word boundaries because that's immediately where my mind went. Um, And boundaries are physical, but they're also in terms of like communicating with Mm. the people in your space and the schedule that you're setting. So I remember um, when I first started my company, I had my desk in the living room with a roommate. And so part of my boundary was communicating that between these hours, I need you to not watch TV because I'm working. And I had my back to the rest of the room so I had a physical boundary. I looked out the window. Um, so yeah, and I think like with um, you hit on like all these distractions when you're working from home, I have started doing something uh, to term uh, another organizer, Julie Morgenstern, um, who focuses on productivity and time management coin called legato time, which mm-hmm. is a musical term. Uh, so that means finding your peak hours and blocking them out on the calendar and allowing no other interruptions. So I try to get in two hours. For me, that's immediately when I wake up to about... 10 a.m. And I'll admit sometimes I do, you know, I'm like, I got to go do laundry. I got to do if That's just me procrastinating. Um, but yeah, boundaries on your schedule, boundaries with the people in your space and the physical boundaries of the actual office are important mm-hmm. to consider. Mm-hmm. That's why I love having a, a separate space. You know, Bex and I have an office at home. I can go to, I can shut the door yeah. and it walls me off. It's literal boundaries around me that uh, allow me to say, hey, this is where I am. I'm lucky I don't have that purple light, actually. I would just have it on all the time. <laughs> I'd have it on right now, actually. You just like, have it on his shoulder somehow. Like. <laughs> Do not disturb. <laughs> yeah, I, I, think, I think understanding that the clutter that's getting in the way of your work, usually it's not physical clutter. It can be that. But it 
it's all the distractions. It's the digital clutter that we have. It's the commitment clutter that we have. It's the distractions. Anything that is getting in the way of creating or doing whatever I want to do. And the benefit of not working from home, but working from work or working from an office or working from a coffee shop even, is that those same distractions that you tangle with at home it's hard to bring those distractions with you. Mm. So you're untethering yourself from that. But you can do that mm. at home as well. You can set up a workspace at home that allows you to untether from those distractions mm. with those boundaries. Yeah. yeah, and I think within the space of your home, considering what is the best room, if you have a room to use for your home office that can create that boundary. So for my husband and I, it's the last room down the hallway. We can't pass it when we're going anywhere else. Mm. So it is a destination. We don't pass it going to bed. We don't pass it going to the kitchen. And I think that's really helpful because we can close the door on work at the end of the day. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one thing I want to say about this is whatever solution you find, I, I want to remind you of the, the quote by Thomas Sowell, there are no solutions, only trade-offs. Whatever solution you find, it's probably going to be a solution worth complaining about. It's probably going to be a solution that's going to cause you some pain. Yeah. And it's probably going to be way less than ideal. Um, it was a long time before I lived in a space where I even was able to set up a conversational boundary about where I was going to work. I've lived in some tiny places and there would be times I just have to take my phone and go sit in the car. There'd be times where I just have to walk three miles to a coffee shop and just like work there and deal with the noise in a very unideal situation where I had to pay rent by making sure I bought a cup of coffee, like figuring out, is that every hour and a half here, every three hours, how much can I get away with before you accuse me of being a squatter? And in many ways it was miserable, but I made a lot of progress by putting up with that misery because it was better than alternative forms of misery. So whatever you end up doing, it's really going to be a matter of what cost are you willing to pay? This is a challenging situation and you're going to have to choose something that allows you to put yourself in a space where you can get your work done without simultaneously having to fight with everyone about your need to work. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Fighting for your work as opposed to fighting with other people. Yeah. And it makes you avoid your work. So yeah. in a way, those boundaries are, are a way for you to fight for the creative and fulfilling work that you actually want to do. Yeah. Malabam, we got another question here from Sarah on Facebook. How would you recommend storing small kitchen gadgets and appliances? I don't use them enough to leave them out on the counter, but the closest storage option right now would put them in our living room. Any tips? Chris, I noticed you have a toaster on your counter, but that seems to be just about it. Maybe a a (laughs) few other things. But um, I assume that you have other things in your cabinets or pantry or whatever. Does it depend on the space? Does it depend on what things you're using? When someone comes to you, quite often I'm sure you go into a home and the first thing you notice is every flat surface is a repository for gadgets and and things people set up there they barely ever use. Mm. Yeah, so my question for this caller would be how often of a use is enough to justify keeping it? Mm. Um, So often with kitchen gadgets specifically and appliances, a simpler tool will do. Um, So I I like to use the example of my husband and I when we moved in together. He's the the cook um, and loves to bake. And we were having this conversation in our new space that we moved to in September about um, expanding the kitchen accoutrements. And I was like, oh, I don't know if we have space. And he's like, but I really want to bake. And finally it came down to, 
what do you want to bake for us? Well, muffins and cakes. And I was like, I don't want any of that in our house. Do you? And we were both like, oh, yeah, we got to the why Mm -hmm. and it totally resolved it. Mm -hmm. So are those kitchen gadgets and appliances necessary for Uh you to use your kitchen the way you want? If so, my next question would be, have you done a thorough minimizing process? Because space may open up in the kitchen if other things that aren't necessary can leave. If I had too many gadgets in my kitchen, like spontaneous combustion rules, the first thing I would think about. I would pick up like every single article in my kitchen, every single utensil, every single whatever. And I'd be like, oh, if this thing spontaneously combusted, would I replace it? Like, how would I feel about it? Um, in fact, that has kind of inspired me to do that right now in our kitchen, because I'm sure there are some things I absolutely would not replace. Yeah, yeah. the boundary that we have in our kitchen, Bex and I have, is we keep our coffee uh, or our, our water kettle, hot water kettle, and a coffee grinder on the counter because they're used every single day. And there's nothing else that we keep on top of the counter. Mm. Uh, we call it the no piles rule because things can pile up easy, wh- whether it's mail or bags or packages or whatever that shows up. But also, you have piles of gadgets. As soon as there's a flat surface, I feel like, oh, this is a good place to store this toaster I use once a week or once a month or whatever. Mm. It's okay to put those things away and experience the calm that you get, but you still know where it is and you can access it if you need to access it. The other thing that I would mention that Ryan mentioned, the spontaneous combustion rule, and I think that's great. How would you feel if this spontaneously combusted? But also use the seasonality rule. Look at every gadget on your counter. Have I used this in the last 90 days? If, if not, then why am I still keeping it on the counter? Mm. Yeah, we actually, um, this past holiday season, we we moved from a home to a condo. So we have uh, five neighbors and we wanted to um, make a good impression. So we were going to bake them holiday cookies, but we didn't have a rolling pin. We didn't have a cookie sheet. So we just asked one of them and borrowed it. <laughs> so with seasonal stuff, you can always borrow and then you make yeah. more friends. And yeah. yeah, you don't have to be prepared for every scenario. Yeah. I love that you gave yourself permission to color outside the lines like that because that strikes me as a rule. Wait a minute. You can't do that. You can't borrow their stuff to make them a gift. But you they didn't, didn't know. Me. I didn't say what I was doing. I was like, surprise. That's even better, yeah. right? It's yeah. like, hey, you did me a favor and it came back to help you. That's, That's awesome. really cool. Yeah. yeah. I think it's helpful also to realize that you have neighbors and quite often your neighbors want to contribute to you. Sometimes I have to beg our neighbors not to give us stuff. <laughs> Because what are they trying to do? They're trying to contribute to us in some way. I think Mm -hmm. gift giving is a love language or whatever, but it's really like, hey, I hope you'll get value from this. And so I'm going to give this to you, right? Mm -hmm. And then so, of course, we don't think about the other side of that equation. I can go ask them if I actually need something. I know one of my neighbors, he has every tool that I could ever want to use. I never have to go to a hardware store (laughs) ever again unless I really want to because... I guarantee you he has every different kind of chainsaw or pickaxe, bleach and tarps <laughs> and <laughs> shovels and gallon trash bags. <laughs> I want a neighbor with, with a boat and a wakeboard. <laughs> <laughs> does, does, does your neighbor have swords in there? <laughs> <laughs> Guarantee he does. Yeah. Right, that's a great moving strategy. I'm, right. gonna, I'm looking for a neighborhood where my next door neighbor has a boat. And a, <laughs> and a Do you care what the house looks like? No, not really. <laughs> location, location, location. Yeah, the realtor asks you, like, what are you looking for? Oh, boating, wakeboarding. Like, what are you looking for in a house? I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> Another question here. This one is from Nova mm-hmm. on Facebook. 
I have an art studio that uses a lot of physical materials. What's the best way to organize art supplies when you don't have much storage? Hmm. Now, Kristen, you do a great job of organizing the things that are essential Mm. as opposed to organizing everything and then just uh, clearing the space of the clutter but retaining the clutter. When I look at your space, uh, whether it's your pantry or just your home in general, recognize that people often need supplies, especially if you're someone like Nova and she has a lot of physical materials, art supplies. What's, um, what are some techniques that you use to organize a lot of these things so they don't become clutter? A lot of our clients are artists because Mm -hmm. their work actually does require a lot of materials and tools. Mm. So we're not going to say, well, you need to just get rid of it all. You know, because then they wouldn't, there usually is a little bit of minimizing and it depends client to client because it's like, oh, well, you've had these fabrics for 10 years and let's pass them on to someone who will use them and get value from it. Um, But this question reminds me of a client who I worked with when I was first starting off and she's a textile artist. And when we came into her studio, everything was just in piles on the floor and the studio had 20 foot ceilings. So I said, hey, what if we built shelves and maximized the vertical space and organized based on the type of project and all of her tools were organized by things that cut, things that attach, like really simple concepts, not hyper specific. And she was like able to get so much more done, so much more created. Um, So yeah, I would just say, um, what opportunities do you have? Does your space offer that you might be missing out on? Is it vertical space? Is there a closet that's got a hanging bar that maybe you should put shelves in? I don't know without seeing it but I would look for those opportunities. Yeah, thinking outside the box. We got a friend Mm -hmm. in uh, uh, Missoula, Montana, Monty Dolak, name drop. Anyway, famous artist. Um, (laughs) We we go to his place all the time. He's got a really pristine, clean, uh, very well-decorated house. And in his art room, it's so funny because he'll take us back there all the time, like to show us what he's working on. And he's always apologizing for all of his art supplies. I'm like, dude, you're an artist. (laughs) And on top of it, he has them organized so well. And he has like thought outside of the box with all of his uh, supplies and how he organizes them. So like he has the mechanics tool drawers Mm -hmm. that he organizes a lot of that stuff. He has filing cabinets where he keeps um, like different magazines and he has them like perfectly filed, like alphabetical order. It would be like if Joshua Fields Milburn was an artist, like this would be his (laughs) his system. (laughs) But what I really appreciate about him is he's always questioning, like, do I need? all of this stuff. Yeah. And sometimes he's like, yeah, he'll, you know, see a, a stack of pictures or whatever it is. And he's like, you know what? I'm not going to, I'm not going to use that in the, in, in the future anytime soon. So he gets rid of it. So it's about, I mean, yeah, thinking outside the box, but also being able to realize when you do have too much and being able to let go and figure out what you can let go of when you're, you're feeling overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. And yeah. quite often there are supplies that we need to organize. People often think I'm against the container store just because I will, I I will bash the fact that we often go there as if it is the solution to our clutter. No, that's it. If you have a bunch of clutter, the container store isn't going to really help at all. Mm. However, if you have a bunch of things that actually need to be organized, art supplies, things that you actually use, then it can be a wonderful way to sort through those things in an organized fashion that looks good, it's calm, it's peaceful. But the opposite is not true. If you don't have all those supplies and you go buy the bins, remember we watched that video a few months ago where it was this like TikTok video and it was a storage solution for garages. And it's just a bunch of bins that go on the ceiling basically. And at first I saw that, I'm like, oh, that looks great. I could use, I'm like, wait a minute. 
what would I, <laughs> I'd have to buy things and then put into those bins. <laughs> right. And so that might work really well for someone who needs to store a bunch of things on the roof of their garage. Mm. But for me, it would just be a bunch of empty bins. It wouldn't mm. make any sense mm. because I got rid of the things that would otherwise be stored in those yeah, they're at your neighbor's house. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> One day he's going to go to his neighbor's and be like, hey, man, can you I borrow that again? Well, you should show him the solution and be like, hey. <laughs> this will really help you out. This will maybe be way more aesthetically pleasing when for I me. When I come you, over. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Kristen, at what point do you go, do you take a client to a place like the Container Store mm-hmm. and help them organize their things? I was thinking about this because yesterday Bex was doing our monthly sort of decluttering and she's getting rid of that. I think she knew you were going to be here. So she's like, I I don't want to be judged. And so she's getting rid of of, of random things, which I'm always grateful for. Anytime she gets rid of something, especially when it's not mine, um, I feel great about that, right? But also I even recognize in our home, there's probably a place for more sort of bins or organization systems that would benefit us. We've gotten down to this minima Mm-hmm. And um, and now it's like, okay, maybe adding a few organizing elements would actually increase the peace or the calm in that yeah. space. Yeah, it's definitely a different balance in each space. But um, the point at which we would go to the container store or similar is at the end of the process. Mm. We never show up with containers because oftentimes we're able to repurpose what the client already has. Um, or there's just really no, I think... Yeah, I think people get really overwhelmed going to places like the container store because they think that it's the solution. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just no way to know what you actually need until you've sorted and minimized. And at the same time, you don't want to open up a closet that you have minimized and have everything crash out, every, you know, because it's not contained and it's loose. Um, so, yeah, I think at the end, if needed, um, oftentimes we have things that we can repurpose, though. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime... End. Go ahead. No, I just, I just love that. End with the containers. End not with yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah don't start with it because then you're hiding the clutter. But now if you're truly organizing what remains, everything that remains, yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, the limitations sort of breed creativity. You might realize like all the things I was going to hide in those containers, maybe I don't need them at all. Mm-hmm. Let's do another question. This one is from TikTok. Francis has a question for us. I heard you guys discuss contaminants in tap water recently. What do you use to filter your water? I use a reverse osmosis filter at home uh, and it's hooked up to our, it's actually hooked up to the plumbing itself. I'll put a link to that. I just got it off Amazon. Um, Yeah, if you go to, what is it? EWG.org slash tap water. You can learn how many toxic, cancer-causing contaminants are in your local water supply. Yeah. You still use a Berkey, Ryan? Yeah. Yeah, the Berkey works great for us. The reverse osmosis is, uh, it is probably the best way to do it as far as, well, explain to me how it actually works. My understanding is like it essentially purifies it and then it re-adds minerals to it. it. I, I don't, I don't, re, we don't remineralize our water. No. Okay. So it's just a four-step filtering process. Okay. So it purifies the water at, through four different filters, uh, basically. Okay. And so uh, certain filters are able to filter out different contaminants. Yeah. And so you're getting really pure water. They're countertop models now as well. So you can do like countertop reverse osmosis as well. Mm. We'll put a link to one in the show notes. But I, what I found is that 
I drink a lot of water. Besides coffee, it's pretty much the only thing I drink. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to welcome all of the sort of contaminant clutter mm. in my life. It's it's a hidden form of clutter in a way. Yeah. But hidden clutter is sort of the most toxic form of clutter in our homes when we put it in a bunch of boxes and bins and hide it in a closet or attic or crawl space or whatever because it still weighs on us. But you know what else harms us over the long haul is if we're taking in all of these toxins. Mm. And so good question there. Uh, but I, um, I, I find I don't have to think about it now. Now that yeah. I just every six months I get I have it set up for auto delivery. I get a new filter in the mail so I know to swap out the filter. And then I just don't have to think about it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, filtering water is um, unfortunately something that has become essential for us. Yeah. Do, do you have any recommendations on that front? Do you? I was actually just telling my husband about the reverse osmosis or whatever, and yeah. that we needed to look at our local water situation because all we have right now are these. It's uh, like a UV filtering water bottle. It's mm -hmm. by Lark. Mm -hmm. The only water bottles we have. I know some people like to have drawers full of water bottles. But sure. I, I knew we were going to have water here today or else I would have brought it. It's black and really clean. <laughs> <laughs> this is filtered water, by the way, yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, Sean, maybe you can pull up ewg.org oh, slash tap water. I hate Boy. ruining tap water for people. And yeah. But it's I think it's necessary, though. What is, you're in Richmond, Virginia, right? Do you know the zip code there? 23220. 23200. About there should be a place news. for you to put it. And then Just it'll tell you... Sean, good luck pronouncing some of these contaminants that are in the water. Just talk about the arsenic that's in the water. What is that? <laughs> By the way, Ryan, what was that I want zip code again. What is the zip code again? Oh, two three two two zero. Two three two two zero. I want an ad of uh, an Instagram photo of Ryan standing next to the water filter, and you saying the only filter I need is for my water. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be so good. All right, Sean. Let's, let's terrify <laughs> Kristen and Jonathan. Oh man, we've got bromido chloromethane. Mm -hmm. How much though? Uh, 106x. 106 times the, what, cancer-causing amount? Uh, yes. The recommend, or the, Sounds yeah. Sounds like it. Yeah. Yeah, so what else you got in there? Chlorate, 3.6x, uh, harmful to the thyroid. Chloroform, 53x times the cancer-causing <laughs> amount. 53 Blows my times. mind. Oof. Uh, what else you got there? Uh, chromium, again, cancer, 15x. Oof. Are most of the, the toxins... Cancer causing? Yes. Yeah. 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 I actually am a cancer survivor. I don't really? know if you knew that. Yeah. Well, no, oh, I wow. didn't. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so the, the thing that we, what's the one that I'm says like, 475? Can you even read that one? Not again. That, that's uh, halo acetic, <laughs> halo acetic acid. Okay. Mm. Uh, you have 475 times the halo acetic acid that you would typically like uh, that is uh, beyond their threshold, basically. Yeah. And what I've learned, and we've had lots of readers who, or listeners uh, who come to us and they're like, I never knew that my tap water was so unsafe. Yeah, because I drink water. That's it. I don't mm. even drink coffee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, a reverse osmosis filter is not cheap. They're four or 500 bucks. And have Cheaper it, than a hospital bill. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Amen yeah. to that. But I realized like, oh, we're using this every day throughout the day, all day when we're at home. Like this is actually one of the least expensive things I've ever bought because I'm using it all day. I mean, even yeah. at night we're drinking. We have the water, you know, glass of water at our bedside at night. So literally 24 hours a day, we have access to 
clean filter water. And now I don't have to worry about it. It gets rid of that, that toxic clutter. Mm. Okay. Well, what about for showers and stuff like that? Because we're washing our hands with this water. We're mm-hmm. like cleaning our bodies with this water. That's a great mm-hmm. question. Yeah. So you can do whole house filtration systems. I have not invested in that. Yeah. Uh, we do. Actually, we do have a filter on our on our water. We just have one carbon filter. So that that's one way to do it. Mm-hmm. So we... we uh, we soften the water as well. We live up in Ojai and the water is like really hard there. And so we have a, a whole house water softener and there's a carbon filter on that as well, which will get out the majority of the toxins. And so if you're looking for a really simple solution, some sort of carbon filter, even like a Breda or something like that, yeah. it's better than nothing right. for sure. It's not nearly as good as you know, full uh, filtration, but it's a great point. You're washing your hands, you're washing your body. Having some sort of carbon filter on the the house is mm. certainly helpful. Yeah. You know what, Ryan? What's up? What time is it? You know what time it is. It's time for the lightning round where we answer your questions from TikTok. Yes, indeed. You can follow The Minimalists on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at The Minimalists. Now, during the lightning round, we each have 60 seconds to answer your question with a short, shareable, less than 140-character response. We put the text to these minimal maxims in the show notes over at theminimalists.com slash podcast so you can copy and share our pithy answers on social media if you'd like. We have a question right now from Michael. There are so many container options, plastic totes, canvas containers, bankers boxes, and so on. When keeping things organized, how do you decide on the best container for the job? Kristen, I'm going to set you up here. Give me 60 seconds, Professor Sean, and uh, I'll set you up for this lightning round. You don't have to be super pithy, but just something within 60 seconds here for Michael. Michael, the best way to organize your stuff is to get rid of most of it. You got a lot of things in your home, in your basement, in your garage, in your attic, in your kitchen, in your cabinets, in your closets, in your entertainment console. You've got a lot of stuff. Instead of simply trying to organize it with more plastic totes, more canvas containers, more banker's boxes and printer paper boxes, consider getting rid of most of it. And then when you finally reach that end point, what do you have? You have a few things that might, might require a plastic tote or might require some sort of canvas box to put it in. But you're going to need far fewer things to organize if you have far fewer things to organize. Mm. Kristen, we'll say you. All right. So to play off of that. um... Go for it. To follow up from that, I would say when you have done that, you get to spend a little bit more time thinking about what containers are going to work best for you. Mm -hmm. And what I would suggest is thinking about how is this solution going to still serve me and my space five or 10 years from now? Mm. So I look for things when I need a container that are modular and versatile and interchangeable. Mm. So my personal favorite is from Muji, which is a Japanese brand. And I have the same containers in the kitchen, in the home office closet, in the linen closet. And as our needs inevitably change, we can take a container from one space and swap it out in another. And we don't have to keep buying and things don't fall apart and become disorganized again. Mm. What I love about that is it's really simple. And the containers you're using, they're not going to be super bright colors. Not there's anything wrong with that. But having this baseline for organization so that you're not constantly having to update yeah. five, 10 years from now, 
these will still likely work for me. And if they don't work, then of course you can let the containers go exactly. as well. Yeah. Let's get 60 seconds on the clock for Ryan Nicodemus. Let's do it. TK, no one wins with storage bins. <laughs> let me let me expound a little bit. When it comes to storage bins, if a professional organizer shows up the very first day with storage bins, what is that going to do for that for that client? It's going to give them permission to hold on to more. Right away, they're like, oh, there's some more stuff to hold on to. So no one wins with storage bins also means no one really wants to have storage bins. Who is like, oh, I'm so glad I bought these storage bins. They look so awesome. We can get them to look as pretty as possible. And there are some really well-designed ones out there, but no one feels good about the storage bins that they own. Mm, uh, that's so spot on because here's the thing. You would rather 100% of the time not need the storage bins. And you rather, if you need the thing that's in the storage bins, you would prefer if it just materialized when you needed it mm-hmm. and then you didn't have to put it away or store it. But it is true. Sometimes we have to store some things. But if you show up first with a pile of storage bins, you're going to store way too many things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, TK Coleman with 60 seconds on the clock. <laughs> The best option is the one that sets you free. Mm. Uh, What's the definition of having options? It means there are more possibilities on the table than what you are capable of taking advantage of. So how do you downsize that sense of overwhelm that comes from having so many opportunities before you? You simply choose freedom. Mm. It's like I tell my students when they say, hey, TK, what's the best book to buy? The one you'll actually read. Mm. If you buy the books that you think will make you look smart, They won't do you any good if they remain on the shelf in the same way. If you exercise the options that make you look good, it's not going to do anything for you if those options aren't actually used and if they aren't leveraged in order to make you free. Oh, spot on, man. Mm. What's going to happen is I can go to Walmart or the container store or wherever. And we just had a whole conversation on the private podcast about storage bins and, and excess stuff going in these bins. I'm giving myself not just permission to hide the excess I have now, but to accumulate even more excess because at least it's well-organized excess. But well-organized excess is still excessive. Mm. We're going to check in with the Patreon live stream in a moment, Malabama. But first, real quick, for right here, right now, here's one thing that's going on in the life of the minimalists. Well, it's a brand new month. This episode comes out on the first of the month. And guess what? That means it's a new opportunity to play the 30-day minimalism game. A lot of people feel overwhelmed. They don't know where to start when they start to let go. They look around their home and they say, I've got 300,000 items in here. I'm just going to throw my hands up. I don't know what to do. Well, if you're anything like me, decluttering is kind of boring. I I don't like decluttering, but it's essential for many of us to get the excess out of the way. So we found a way to make it a bit more fun with some friendly competition. And the way the 30-day minimalism game works, you can find all the details at theminimalists.com slash game. It's completely free to play. We don't want anything from you for that. You can download our free minimalism game calendar there as well. But you partner up with a friend, a family member, a coworker at the beginning of the month, and you send the first day of the month where you're going to get rid of one item. Starts off really easy. Anyone can pick just one item. 
You could pick Ryan usually just picks one paperclip on the first day of the month. <laughs> Second day of the month, two paperclips. Right. And by the end of the month, I've gotten rid of almost 500 paperclips. <laughs> anyway. uh, the, the sad part is on the 31st of each month, he goes buys more paperclips. So he can play this game. <laughs> Cheating. <laughs> and the beauty about the game is you get to set the rules. Whoever goes the longest throughout the month wins. So first day of the month, you I'm going to get rid of this shirt. Second day of the month, I'm going to get rid of this uh, pair of pants and uh, wait a minute actually let me compare these shoes i think that counts as two things one shoe two shoe okay great however you want to count it go for it it starts to get difficult by the middle of the month because day 13 you're like i have to get rid of 13 things a day and 14 things tomorrow Uh uh-oh what am i going to get rid of whoever goes the longest wins so you bet whatever you want at the beginning of the month and if you both make it to the end of the month then you've both won because as ryan just said you've gotten rid of about 500 items and that's a really great place to get started if you want to download the free minimalism game calendar it's over at theminimalists.com/game we'll put a link to that in the show notes as well Alabama, let's check in with the patreon live stream any comments for us we have a comment here from crystal she says the richmond meetup group sends our love to kz oh, thank you crystal that's awesome <laughs> so back in uh 2014 we went to a hundred different cities and left behind a hundred free local meetup groups over at minimalist.org. And that's what she's referencing there. So uh, if you want to find open-minded people who are also decluttering their lives in different ways, whether it's decluttering their home, decluttering their finances, decluttering their relationships, minimalist.org is a great place to find and connect with people locally. We'll check back in with the live stream here in a bit. But Alabama, first, what else you got for us? Here are some minimalist comments and insights from our listeners. Hi, my name is Erin and I live in Salt Lake City. And first off, I wanted to thank you, um, all the minimalist team, um, for your podcast. It continually helps me simplify my life and to recognize that simplicity and minimalism is a journey and not a destination. It's something that I have to continually work at. So you touched a lot on intentional purchasing, and I had a tip I've been using lately that I hope can help other listeners express intentionality when they need to buy things. Um, So what I do is I keep a note on my phone of questions that I have to look at and answer before I purchase something, and it can be anything from groceries to clothing. And you can come up with whatever questions work for you, but here are mine as an example. So the first one is, uh, and hopefully it's the podcast favorite, uh, does this add value to my life? The second one, can I afford it? The third, can something else do the same job or substitute well enough? So hopefully it forces me to be a little bit creative and see if I can find something already that will work. Um, fourth, will I use it frequently enough to warrant buying it? So it helps me consider if it's something that maybe I can borrow or rent instead. The fifth, can I buy it used if I do need to buy it? And then the sixth, does it fall in line with my principles? Um, so for instance, I'm a, a vegan for ethical reasons. So when I buy food, I choose to buy plant-based food. Um, if it's clothing, it's something that I um, hopefully can find sustainably produced and that will last me a long time. Um, or if it has uh, any type of packaging, that hopefully it's recyclable. And then lastly, um, which kind of ties back to the first one, do I need it or do I just want it? And if it's something I just want, then it needs to go back on the shelf. My name is Chris Urban, and I'm a computer tech calling in from Chico, California. You guys mentioned cloud storage as an option, which is great for some. I personally dislike cloud storage because I never want to risk my personal privacy if there was a security issue with the cloud service. I'll be facing 
sorting my own digital files this month, and we'll be doing it with two hard drives, which will be the same model of size, and will be in RAID 1. Without going into too much detail, RAID 1 is a way to set up hard drives to be mere images of each other. Every time a file is added to one, it goes to the other also. It appears as one drive in the operating system. If one drive fails, the other will still have the data. It's a great way to back up important data and avoid the cloud. I realize this sounds very complicated, but it really isn't. Search online for how to set up RAID 1, and I am sure you will find plenty of guides. Welcome back to The Minimalist. We're going to check back in with the Patreon live stream in a moment. But first, how about our Talkaboutables segment? I got a couple Talkaboutables for y'all today. By the way, we're here with Kristen Ziegler from Minima. We'll put a link to Minima, her professional organizing business, in the show notes. This is a little meme that we have here. So, Danny, if we have the iPad, maybe they, everyone can see it here. We talked about this briefly last week, TK, if you recall. Quite often, what happens, and Ryan, you and I talked about this. We were on the road a few weeks ago. We were in Georgia, mm-hmm. and um, you said you have a, uh, you were at a conference, and and someone really wanted to make this about them. I don't know if you have this for the screen, Jordan, but you could put it up here on the screen as well. But it is a meme, and Ryan, I'll let you describe this meme. Oh, it's just a, a fella who is really serious and he's trying to motivate this person that he's pointing at. That's himself in the mirror, by the way. Yes, I, I was going to. Ah, thanks. Sorry. Thanks. Spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, yeah. So he's pointing at himself very seriously in the mirror. Get in there and make it about you. <laughs> and uh, don't we just don't we just do that all the time? I mean, I know I used to do it all the time. But now uh, now that I have been enlightened a little bit and realized that, uh, you know what, sometimes, most times, it's not all about you. Yeah. <laughs> it took me a long time to figure that out. <laughs> I need to share this meme with our daughter, Ella. <laughs> you know, the, the funny thing, like, because Ella, as a nine-year-old, can very easily make everything about her. But we do this all the time as well, especially online, mm-hmm. uh, where Someone says something that we don't like, and instantly it becomes about us. Yeah. And Chris, I wonder if you've seen this as well. If you post something online, especially a picture of a, a freshly decluttered space, a clean, organized, peaceful space, and someone doesn't like it for whatever reason, they think you're judging them, yeah. they instantly make it about them. I could never live there. Yep. Yeah. And so I'm wondering what is behind that maybe it's insecurity there's a fear maybe yeah i already knew that josh Mm. (laughs) 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 okay what about people who might not have known yeah well you know so much of commenting is less about reacting to what is being said and it's more about people reacting to their own angst and oftentimes what we call commenting is really compensating Mm -hmm. and i saw something in the comments section the other day that was maybe a positive version about this. And it was absolutely beautiful. I loved it. There's a popular journalist who I will not name because people will get distracted by it. But he was at some kind of fashion show and the dude was decked out. He was looking good and you could tell he was in his moment, right? And somebody said in the comments, he wants to be important so bad. 
And someone replied to that person and said, well, he is important to himself, Mm. to his family and to his friends. And so are you. And I was like, oh, that was so sweet. What a slick burn, right? What a slick burn. Set that other soul on fire for good. Mm -hmm. Someone got in there and they made it about that other person. They made it about love. And I was like, okay, that's a whole new way of doing comments, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've done that before too. So I I have learned to not take offense. Mm. I I had an apartment therapy feature of my last home and people were not attacking the space. They were attacking me. Your space is sterile. What does that say about you? Mm. And I learned to just ignore it because it is just a projection. And so recently some friends had this Airbnb in the mountains featured on Dwell. And everyone was like, there's no way it was that inexpensive. And I, I was like, going to root for them in the comments because I it would look better if somebody else did than them. I was like, no, I know them. It was like that. Mm. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it's, it's funny that we feel compelled to inject ourselves, get in there and make this about you. I didn't like this <laughs> post or I could never live in that home. No one's asking you to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Who asked you if you could live there? <laughs> right. Why would I care? And this is the thing I try to communicate to our nine-year-old daughter. Granted, she's nine. And I will communicate in a way that isn't harsh or uh, rude to her, but it's helping her understand that other people don't really care, right? That, okay, who who asked you whether or not you could live in this home, right? Yeah. Uh, and I wouldn't, respond to commenters that way. I would just leave it, leave it blank. But um, with a nine-year-old or with a close friend, maybe it warrants another question. Let me see what's going on behind this outrage. What is causing this discontent, this need for confrontation Mm. that constantly comes up? And why, TK, do, why do you think that the comment sections online are a place that amp amplifies the confrontation? Well, for starters, they they give us a kind of exemption from consequence in a way that's not mirrored by physical reality, right? When, when we're in shared social spaces and I got to wear the face that God gave me, you know what I mean? Mm. I got to show up with the body that nature equipped me with. And I say, well, I disagree with you. Well, I've got to pay a price for that. I've got to own my disagreement. Everybody in the room knows, okay, it's TK who disagrees. All right, TK, why do you disagree? Let your ideas stand on their own feet. But when I can put on that mask and I can wear a fake name and I can hide from consequences and no one sees me, not only do I get to say I disagree, Mm. but I get to say, and I don't like you anyway. Mm-mm. And I hate the way you look, can't smell. And I, and, I, and I got all this stuff in me that I can let out. It's kind of like the movie Purge where they say, we're going to shut down the government for one day and everybody can purge all of the stuff that's inside of them. And you see people get so evil and so dark. I feel like the comment section is a daily playing out of that horror film, Purge, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. people go into the comment section and they <laughs> let out all of the stuff, the pent up, the pent up suppressed emotion yeah. and angst that's inside of them. And they can just dump it on you. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, when someone challenges something that uh, you believe to be true in your own life or a preference that you, or they challenge a preference that you have in your life, like pe- first people don't want to be wrong. So instantly the the reaction is to be like, wait, so what they're saying is this, which makes me wrong and I'm not wrong. And then we let it out. Here's why I'm not wrong. Or worse, it just feels good to be angry. Like for whatever reason, like people love to just project their outrage. They 
participate in recreational outrage because it feels good. They feel like they're standing up for something. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I'm, I'm standing up for this point and, and, and I'm doing something good for the world. When if that's all that they're doing, it's, it's kind of less than nothing because when I look at those comment sections, I can't take them seriously because that is a, that is a, a world of anonymity that um, for all intents and purposes is a very fake section underneath those videos or posts or whatever it is. Except for you, patrons. We appreciate your comments. Well, well, it's funny you bring that up because they're the the absolute best Mm -hmm. of of the best when it comes to the comments because these are people who are invested. Mm -hmm. They have skin in the game. Most of them have pictures of themselves. Uh, If you don't, hint, hint. But just saying that like they they love to participate and uh, because they have skin in the game, the comment section is so much different than when you go to YouTube and yeah, there's a million views on something and 100,000 toxic comments. And even fewer people call in and leave a comment or send a voice recording, which you can send to podcast at minimalists.com. And every week we air listener comments and tips and insights from our listeners because there's that, that, that the desire to contribute to the rest of the, become part of this community is different from being, and you can even, by the way, you can contribute through anger. Sometimes you might be angry about something that's going on with the environment or just with having a messy house or whatever. Sometimes that anger is contribution in, in a way, in a roundabout way. But I agree with you, Ryan. I think quite often people find certainty in anger that they're at least certain they can feel that emotion. Yeah. And therefore, I'm going to comment in an angry fashion. Yeah. I've got one more talk aboutable for yeah. you. This one is so many people sent me this TikTok video. <laughs> this is of Jerry Seinfeld, and he has a problem with books. Uh-oh. <laughs> so good. So forget about the books. Did you read them? Well, yeah. What do you need them for? No, they're books. What is this obsession people have with books? They put them in their houses like they're trophies. What do you need it for after you read it? They're my books. <laughs> Great response. They're mine. <laughs> now, Professor Sean says he is he feels personally attacked. <laughs> it's about him. Now, Sean, get in here and make it about you. I, I, I love my books. <laughs> we love you loving your books, Sean. Yeah, and I of course this isn't a prescription. I love the way that he asked the question because some people don't ever stop and think, like, mm. wait a minute. Why do I hold on to all of these books? Mm-hmm. Uh, Bex and I, we have in our home, if you've seen the previous home tours of our office, we have a boundary for our books. And so anytime we bring a new book home, an old book has to go, right? We're not adding additional shelves on there. And the vast majority of the books that we keep have to do with books that we either reference or getting ready to read, or it's um, it's a book that I want to go back and read repeatedly, like anything from David Foster Wallace, something I just hold on to and go back to regularly. John? Um, I actually do get a lot of inspiration from all the books I still have, though. Josh <laughs> Josh shared this like the day after visiting my apartment and saw our like 700 books. <laughs> but, um, but often when I need inspiration, I'll just go up and it's like visiting a bookstore. I'll just pick a random novel off the shelf and turn to any page and find beautiful words and, and I'm ready to go. I think part of that inspiration, though, also recognizing that Professor Sean here, Sean Mahalik, is a talented novelist. He's published mm. eight novels, and he's a super ta- talented writer. So these are reference books for him quite often in a way that they may not be for the average person. Nothing wrong with 
your books. If you want your books, keep your books, but understand also you're not required to keep them. Yeah. Kristen, when you talk to clients, I assume when you show up quite often, some people will just have a lot of books and some of them might be getting in the way. Mm. Yeah. I think it goes back to your intention. Are you keeping the books so there'll be trophies? Kind of going back to that, how do I style my space question? That's not really genuine. That's trying to put on a mask so that people will perceive you in a certain way. But if you're like Sean and you're using them and they're adding value to your life, then like you said, keep them. How do you deal with just in case when it comes to books? Because I find this is a little bit more difficult than like any other object because if you have a book on your shelf, you really do want to read it. Right. But what if you have like, let's say you got more books than what's physically possible for you to read right. in your lifetime, so but you but you really do want to read them all. Hypothetically. Right. <laughs> in theory. Well, I think um, there there's a library, you know, you can always rent them. You can always get them again. Most books cost no more than $30. Um, so yeah, I would just, I think you have to be honest with yourself of mm-hmm. like, what am I realistic? What do I feel like I should read? that maybe I'm not really getting to for a reason. Someone told me I should read it or get a lot of value out of it and I don't actually want to versus, yeah, I'm really wanting to read these books. Um, I don't know if it was y'all, but um, someone said something like, if you get halfway through a book and you're not enjoying it, just let it go. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I love that. Yeah, because yeah, I've I've pushed through some books before. and If it doesn't it. grip me in the first eight pages, I tend to just set it down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bex and I, we will often go to our, our favorite bookstore is up in Ojai. It's uh, called Bart's Books. And Ryan, you've been there. It's an outdoor yeah. bookstore. Cool. So it's outdoor, it indoor. Really cool. uh, but even the indoor is sort of, there's no roof. And so you're you're even outdoors, even when you're inside the bookstore. But even when they're closed, it's lined with books all around. That's how you know you're in a safe neighborhood, by the way. There's just books all over. And it's like, they're all 50 cents or a dollar. And they just have a drop box you put money in. And we'll just go there and we'll just read. And most of the books on the outside are really old books and they're often terrible. Mm. But Bex found one the other day that was just amazing. Oh, you got it with you? I think it's called Earthbreakers. Mm. But... um, and it was 50 cents and some of the most gorgeous writing I've ever seen. So getting rid of some of those books that I I, um, I want to read some of them, holding on to it, becomes a burden. Uh, where now there's freedom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll take the book. Oh, what She's a got beautiful it. cover. And, and so too. yeah, we just found this and she opened it up. We do these these first line battles. So she opens up to the to the first line. And if the first line is compelling, then okay, I'll give the second line a chance. But if not, shut the cover. We're good to go, right? Here, I'll read the first line real quick. And the first line, this was by Ernest Haycox. I think it's from the 1940s, maybe. A slanted, slashing rain saturated his wool coat while he rigged the pack animals and a coldness searched his bones. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah, that's incredible. A coldness searched his bones. And so by letting go of the excess books, you can always pick one of these up and say, oh, now I've got this. I can read this. Why are you you making TK want to buy another book, man? (laughs) (laughs) I got a story for our last Sunday symposium, which you can listen to now. We put out episode uh, 387 was our fifth and final Sunday symposium here in Los Angeles. And I was reading from one of Anthony DeMello's books. And afterward, TK goes, what's the name of that book? And I was like, oh, it was One Minute Wisdom. 
And uh, he looks over at his wife, Michelle, and he goes, Michelle, we've got to get this book. <laughs> and I said, here, you can just have this one. I don't, I'm not married to these books, right. even though it's got all these underlines and everything. Here you go. And, and Michelle looks at me and she goes, no, you don't. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> You have to get rid of some books uh, first. Does, do get, how would you feel like if, like, I don't know, man, are they weighing you down? Because they don't seem to me like they're weighing you down, man. Oh, no. Every time I hold a book, I'm feeling it right now. Yeah. I'm not exaggerating. I just want to like cry tears of joy. Yeah. Like the magic of this human spirit imprinted on the page through the power of the written word mm. existing for all time mm-hmm. through this book. Yeah. What a, what a portal, you know? Yeah. This is a Stargate that I hold in my hand. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I could travel to other worlds that would not otherwise be accessible to me. I'm not going to buy it, though. <laughs> I just love books, man. Yeah. Books make me happy. I'm like, they're, they're magical objects to yeah. me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then other times, so we were at the, the bookstore this weekend, and I, there was, I pulled another poetry book off the shelf. I just turned to page 46 of the book, and I read the first poem that was there. And it was I read it out loud to Bex. And it was so good that a woman in the next aisle goes, Amen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, that's the book I want to take home. I yes. want to read more of this because mm. it elicited that feeling in me, but it elicited that feeling in her. Mm-hmm. But then because I have the boundary, I literally had to let go of another book. And mm. I'm okay with that. On our walk to the butcher shop, there are four of those little donation libraries. Or there's three of them on the way there. And so... If I need to get rid of a book, I, as I'm walking, I'll just bring a few books with me, put them in that little free library, and now someone else can read the books that I'm done enjoying. Yeah. I do that when I walk my dog because there's two within walking distance of our house, and there's always such good stuff, and I'll peek in there and go, mm-hmm. Ooh, let me trade those out. That's mm-hmm. nice. Yes, yes. Let's move on to some impulse purchases here. If you have an impulse pur- purchase question, it really helps if you send us a voice recording. Just email it to podcast at theminimalists.com. Also, if you have an amass it or trash it, something you don't know, should I get rid of this book? Should I get rid of this blender? Should I get rid of this thing? Yes, we have, uh, you can email us podcast at theminimalists.com. Also, if you have a sucky ad, if you saw an ad that was just like, oh, this thing sucks. I really do hate advertisements. Email us that as well. This one is from Renetta. What does Renetta say for us? Renetta sent this tweet. She said, I saw this tweet and I thought if this were an ad, it would be the worst one ever. The tweet is from Haley at Haley underscore Copeland. No one goes to Target because they need something. You go to Target and let Target tell you what you need. (laughs) So true. (laughs) Now, I will say this, Krista. I think that's especially true for a place like Ikea, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. You don't mm. go to Ikea and for what you need. You go to Ikea and you are you walk through a maze of things that you didn't <laughs> know you needed, but now you can't possibly live without. And they will batter you into uh, buying the thing, purchasing the thing, consuming the thing, bringing the thing home, because I don't want to go through that damn maze ever again, so I might as well go ahead and get it now, mm. right? Uh, Bex uh, just got a rug for Ella's room from Ikea recently. And the best Ikea hack of all time is to you order it online and then you show up, park in a space, and they bring the one item that you purchased out to you or the five items or whatever. This happened when we were also organizing our closets. I brought someone out from California Closets and he's like, oh, yeah, we can do this closet, this closet. And he estimated, it's going to be about $12,000. I said, all right, you can leave now. Thank you very much. Um, and I went to Ikea and, and bought about $120, $140 worth of bins. 
for our all of our closets instead of $12,000. But when I showed up there, I just parked and they brought the bins out. I didn't have to go through the maze. I didn't have to go through the checkout. But I imagine, Kristen, what you see quite often is someone has gone shopping for inspiration, whether it's the container store, Target, Ikea, or something else. Yeah. And that often manifests as clutter in our homes. Yeah. So I think you can shop without buying. Mm -hmm. And to me, this might be surprising. Ikea is my happy place. Mm -hmm. I will drive an hour and a half to our closest one, wander around. I'll beg my husband to come. Usually he doesn't. (laughs) Um, I'll wander around for an hour and a half just looking at things and feeling happy inside. I don't know what it is, the smell. (laughs) And I leave with nothing. Or the one thing that I came to see if it was going to be high quality enough to fit my needs, like checking out the design and analyzing that. And every time I post on Instagram, oh, I'm at Ikea. People are like, what'd you get? Mm. Nothing. Mm. (laughs) They're like, what? I need to have better impulse control. But I think when you have your space set the way that you want it, you know that it's going to be a violation to just bring a bunch of random unplanned stuff in. So I know that I don't want that thing um, unless I already thought about it. Well, that's because you know your space and you know your boundaries. Mm. If you show up, however, at Target or Ikea. I don't go to Target. (laughs) I only do online ordering. There you go. (laughs) And, And so if you show up at one of these places and don't know what your boundaries are, all of a sudden the thing that looks good on the mannequin doesn't look good on me, but also the home goods that look good in the store may look awful and clutter up my space. I think that applies to everything in life, actually, like who you choose to spend your time with, the moves you make in your career. If you're just kind of going around without a plan and a vision and just saying yes to a bunch of stuff, you're going to end up somewhere that you didn't want to be. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. What are some of your favorite brands? You, uh, mm. When you and I first connected, you told me about one of your favorite brands. Uh, and I'd love to hear from you because quite often on your Instagram, which I really enjoy your Instagram... <laughs> you will do the thing that I often refuse to do. You will highlight the brands that you have, <laughs> yeah. which is smart because people are otherwise just going to ask you, what table is that? Oh, what chair is that? That's my mm-hmm. DMs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Muji is my all-time favorite brand. This shirt is from there. Um, and Muji means no brand in Japanese. So, you know, you're never going to say like Nike, like Muji or anything like that. And it's all really versatile, thoughtful, simple stuff that can blend with anyone's home decor. And they've been around since the 80s. And a lot of their um, storage solutions have been around since the 80s. So Mm. it's true timeless design with no excess. Um, People are always like, Kristen, you should design a line of products. And I'm like, well, Muji already did it. So that would be Mm. unnecessary. (laughs) Um, I also love Ikea. I think with any store, you have to be selective. There are good designs there and there are bad designs. Um, And then I really love uh, Design Within Reach, specifically the Scandinavian brands like Hay. Mm -hmm. Um, We had the the pleasure of going to Sweden and Denmark and Norway. And the culture there is so minimalist, like their their values. I don't know if y'all have been, but you would love it if not. Yeah, I bet. bet. Yeah, often when... When I see any sort of Scandinavian design, it's it's hyper simple, it's functional, but also it's beautiful. Their whole culture is that way, like their their value, the way they value people, and the way that they value sustainability and um, work life balance. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Well, you can follow Minima on Instagram as well. We'll put a link to your Instagram handle in the show notes. They can find all of the uh, the brands mm-hmm. that you enjoy <laughs> over there. Speaking of enjoying our spaces. Let's move on to the Minimalist Home Tour for this week. This is number 34 in our series. And this is 
from my home. Notoriously, Bex and I live apart. We used to live states apart when we were, uh, she was living in Montana, I was living here. But now uh, we have a main house and then there is a guest house or a back house. It's about 250 square feet. And this is the space where I live most of the time, uh, the majority of the time. And it's rather stark. It's rather minimalist. Mm -hmm. I think it's sort of your aesthetic, but stripped down even slightly more. Part of that is, and I, I titled this photo, Balance is the Absence of, of Excess. Mm. Now, what is excess for me is a lower threshold than most people. Mm-hmm. I'm not prescribing this to anyone, but this is what my home looks like. And it's changed relatively recently. I just sold my desk to Professor Sean. He's going to give me some cash this afternoon, hopefully. <laughs> uh, but we have this guest house and it has two functions. So like if Ryan comes up to Ojai and wants to spend a couple nights, then great. I have a guest house. You can sleep there. There's a this dining table here. And I don't hang any art on the walls, but these sound panels sort of function as art. It's a rather mm-hmm. echoey space. And I like to go in there and make phone calls or just work. And to do so, having these sound panels, to me, they're minimalist art mm-hmm. in a way. And they look beautiful, but it's aggressively simple. And I think the the details are especially important when you get down to this simple. So like uh, a simple Nelson light that is there above the table and these simple chairs from Bow Concept or this tables from Design Within Reach. But then there's literally nothing else here yeah. in in that picture. The other side of the room, we'll go to the other picture here, is just a bed and an end table and some lights, right? And some natural light. And that's quite literally everything that's in that space, except there is, if you're looking at this picture, it's on the the, the left of this picture, there's like a, a small kitchen or a giant kitchenette, I like to refer to it as. Mm-hmm. The mega kitchenette. <laughs> <laughs> but it has everything I need. Although I would argue that the kitchen probably has more than what I need in it because I don't need a lot of excess storage and, and, and everything else. So I'll be simplifying that in the coming months and years as well to make it closer to my aesthetic. But stripping down to the essentials, the bones become the beauty mm. of the space. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I noticed that you lined up the artwork with the top of the windowsill. Yeah. I assume that was intentional. Yes. Yeah. Very nice. <laughs> That's the kind of stuff that I think about. Like I always look for the architectural lines in a space mm. and uh, try to make things relate to one another. And that creates a lot of balance. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I think when we pay attention to these details, this is what I love about your Instagram account and your website. You have a love for the details. Yeah. The, the beauty is essential, but also finding the things that are functional and making sure they're beautiful so you're combining the form and the function is so important. Quite often, here's what happens. We try to beautify our space with the things that have no function at all. That's why I like the sound panels in a space like this is because to me, they're beautiful. They clean lines, yeah, just real simple, but they also have a function. They, They dampen the sound in that space. Yeah. However, Quite often what we'll do is we will say, all right, I want some things that are beautiful in my space. Here's some artwork, here are some plants or whatever. And those things can be fine. But then the other things that are functional, they'll be ugly and, and cumbersome. And they're, they're kind of like, oh, they're, they become clutter visually. Yeah. Even if I still use them every day, I don't feel great about using them because mm-hmm. it, it doesn't match the things that make the room beautiful. 
Yeah. So I feel like there's, my background is in architecture and I feel like there's this missed opportunity in terms of levels of design. You have urban planning, architecture, interior design, and then that's kind of where people stop. But where, where my mind continues is the opportunity of the inside of a drawer or a cabinet creating beautiful, beautiful um, arrangements. And that's not for everybody, but that's where my joy lies. And you don't have to be rich to do this. I actually found minimalism when I was unemployed. Um, a lot of it has to do with arrangement, but then also selecting the best possible thing that you can afford. You all talk about that a lot. Um, so I, that's why I love brands like Muji because they do have these beautiful, affordable things. And I open up a drawer and I'm like, yes. So, and then I look up at my wall and I'm like, you know, and why shouldn't your home be a sanctuary like yes. that? Yeah. yeah. I often think about my storage spaces like cabinets uh, or you know, above the laundry machine or whatever it is that I want it. If someone were to open it, that someone usually being me, <laughs> I want it to be similar to a retail store. Yeah. Not in the sense that I have a large inventory of things, but everything's facing a particular way. Oh, yeah. Because in retail, Ryan and I worked in retail for a really long time. It's all about the presentation. Mm-hmm. If you want a customer to feel welcomed in the store, you present things in a way that is aesthetically pleasing. Oh, yeah. Well, why don't I do that at home as well instead of just cramming a yeah, bunch of things into a cabinet? Why do we think our home isn't important enough to take oh. the time to do that? When it's the most important. It's the most important. Actually, whenever someone comes over to my space, the interiors of the closet are part of the home tour. I'm like, and look at our shared closet. Wow. And then everyone always goes, I don't wear half of my clothes. I bet I could get it down to that. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's exactly it. And being in a 250 square foot space most of the time, which by the way, I'm not prescribing this to anyone. Bex and I are extreme introverts and we like having our distance, which makes our time together better. And we've been fortunate enough to be able to do that where we have a little, it's a garage that's been converted into a 250 square foot back house. Part of that is I don't have the space to accumulate a bunch of things. And I still like to feel like there's open space there, right? And so having even fewer things gives me that feeling of open space, that freedom Mm -hmm. of open space. I feel freer when I own fewer things. I feel lighter when I subtract. Whenever I add, I start to add anxiety. I start to add stress. I add discontent. I add overwhelm. And so by removing just a few things, getting down what is essential, Mm -hmm. and then what actually adds value to my life, if it's not essential and it's not value adding, then it's junk and I want to get rid of it. Yeah. Minima's mission statement is make what is necessary beautiful. So the necessary comes first and what remains beautiful. Oh, that is so good. <laughs> oh, man. <It's> just like, <laughs> it just came out of my mouth one day when I was talking to somebody when I started my business and they were like, you need to trademark that. Mm, yeah, that's so good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let's check back in with the Patreon live stream, Alabama. Got anything for us? I have a comment here from Nancy. She said, I once asked an architect, what was the biggest complaint after building a house? They all said they did not need all of the space. Mm. Ryan, what's the stat on this that the average home being built now is what, 3,000 square feet? It's approaching 3,000 square feet. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. And it's not that there's anything wrong with having a 3,000 square foot home. I think Mm -mm. about our friend Leo Babalta. He could probably benefit from a 3,000 square foot home when he had all six kids at home. Mm-hmm. Now that he doesn't have all six kids at home because many of them are grown, maybe he doesn't need the same amount of space. Yeah. And the same is even true with like a, a museum. You can go walk into one room in a museum and it might be 3,000 square feet. 
But the way they use that space isn't like, all right, let's go to the container store. We'll get a bunch of bins. We'll hang them from the ceiling. I mean, that could be an interesting art installation. All kinds of ideas. Right? Yeah. I mean, there's there's something about that. In fact, we read an article a few weeks ago. Remember, I think it was the Boulder Public Library. Mm. Remember this one? Where uh, this hoarder moved all of his hoard into an art exhibit, turned it into an art exhibit. And you realize like this is actually the first time it has been that hoard has been useful for several decades. Now, coincidentally, they had to shut the library down a few weeks later because there was a meth contamination. I don't know if it's related to the hoard. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? Who knows? Speaking of causes meth. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Don't quote me. Speaking of articles that we read, we have this little segment we do at the end of the show. We call it More About Less. Malabama, we've got this article here. It is called How to Radically Declutter Your Home in Preparation for a Big Move. You want to read that and we'll, uh, we'll comment on it. Sure thing. Start in the spaces you use the least. That's where you store the stuff you know you don't really need. Pausing right there for a second. Kristen, when we when you approach a client, is that often how you start? Hey, where are the, the spaces that you use the least? Because you know that's where the, the most toxic hidden clutter is. In some ways, we always talk about um, starting with the spaces that are going to be the easiest because then you're going to build up your decluttering muscle. Like don't start with paperwork. Don't start with keepsake. Start with the kitchen or clothing, things you use every day. But actually with a move... It can be in reverse because you don't want to pack up your kitchen if you're moving two months from now. Mm. So like the attic or the garage, if you have those spaces um, or like a guest room, that's that's a good place to start. So I would say that's pretty on point. Yeah. Alabama? Downsizing or getting ready to stage your home for sale? You need to strap on your big kid pants and get radical about clutter. Think Marie Kondo on steroids. (laughs) I'm just imagining Marie Kondo on, on steroids. steroids. Yeah. <laughs> He's just so jacked. Marie Kondo, if you're listening, let us know how much you can bench. <laughs> <laughs> this article, by the way, is from stuff.co.nz uh, or NZ, as they would say. Uh, and uh, so, yes, I mean, the KonMari method on steroids, I, I get that. Uh, but what we're talking about here specifically, Kristen, is we're talking about decluttering before a big move. Mm. It's sort of the the inverse side of Ryan's packing party. Like mm. before you pack up everything, you know there's some things you don't need to pack at all probably, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah. Is there a box that's followed you around from house to house to house and now it's going to follow you around to your next house? Mm-hmm. Well, now's a good time to probably let it go. Yeah. But quite often you unpack for folks. Mm-hmm. What are some of the weirdest things that you unpack? Well, we have a confidentiality agreement with our clients. So. <laughs> um, gosh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Define weird. Mm, <laughs> yeah, great question. Yeah. Great question. Um, so quite often when I was when I was dealing with my mom's stuff, when that was my first sort of entry point into minimalism, I realized I was going to hold on to all of it. Mm just in case, right? Yeah. Uh, and I wasn't going to keep it in my space because I couldn't commingle mom's stuff with my stuff. I already had a big house and a full basement, all full of stuff. So I didn't have the space for her stuff mm-hmm. because I barely had space for my stuff. Even though I had a big house and a lot of space, it was full of stuff. 
And so weird to me now was totally normal to me Mm. two decades ago. Mm. Normal to me was holding on to everything just in case. Now holding on just in case is pretty weird because I know it's just getting in the way. I think, yeah, I think a lot of our work is just giving our clients permission. Like, because my team, I have six employees. We all do practice some form of minimalism. I'm definitely the lowest on the minima curve. (laughs) Um, But if I'm telling them... I. Trust me, like, but because of the questions you've answered, I'm giving you permission that it'll be okay. What's the worst thing that'll happen? Um, because I, I guess weird to me is like, I know that, that they'll be okay without it based on what they've shared with me and just helping them get to that realization. Yeah. Whereas it's instinctual for yeah. me now. Mm. Um, so I think a lot of times they're just looking for permission. Yes, yes. Permission to let go or even permission to hold on to something that... That too, I, yeah. I'm getting a lot of value from this, but I and I don't want to let it go. They feel like they have to eliminate a certain amount. I'm like, no, it sounds like that's that's something to keep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're going to be mad at me if I don't get rid of this. No, I'm not. I promise. <laughs> did have a client who was like, I want to be your favorite client. So I'm going to work really hard to get rid of as much as I can. And all the time she was like, am I achieving that goal? I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Alabama returns a text. <laughs> it's the only way if you want to maximize your sale price and at the same time minimize the exhausting job of packing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, packing and the exhausting job of unpacking and figuring out where everything goes, yeah. right? Yeah. It's the worst. Moving is the absolute worst. Even as a minimalist, I dislike it. You know, I especially disliked it though, Ryan. Is, mm. Remember, I had all those books. So I was moving to this new condo in Dayton, Ohio that I was renting. And I had like 2,000 books. And books by themselves, I hold up one book, it's not very heavy. But you fill a giant box with a bunch of books. The box is so heavy. And I remember I was jumping out of Ryan's Toyota truck at the time. And I had this giant box in my hands. As soon as I jumped off, I threw my back out. Mm. Oh. I'm like, what a metaphor. Yeah. This is what our stuff does to us. It yeah. paralyzes us. Yeah. Breaks our backs. Yeah. <laughs> you want to know why I'm a failure today? Books. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, we'll put a link man. to this article in the show notes if y'all want to read the whole thing, especially if you are moving, how to radically declutter your home in preparation for a big move, or maybe even in preparation for your big packing party. If you saw our last film on Netflix, you can check out Ryan's packing party there. It's called Less Is Now. Now, for someone like me, Kristen, who is 98% there, but always is tweaking around the edges. You know, Bex and I were just talking about this yesterday. Like, I look at your space and I'm really inspired by your space for our shared living space. Mm-hmm. Uh, my space for me is ideal because it's just me, right? And I don't want anything. I want it to be uh, rather stark and, mm-hmm. and sterile. I enjoy that personally. Mm-hmm. However, with our shared space, it's like there's a little more character, a little more personality, and also a little more function for three people, including a child, right? Mm. But then I see your space and I'm like, oh, there, there are subtle differences. Mm-hmm. So if I were to hire you, what would you look, what would you look for for the last two percent to get us there? Because we're already 98% of the way there, but there are just a few things I know that like. Uh, something's just off slightly. Okay, so you're saying that you want the space to feel, the shared space to be like more warm? No, no. um, uh, To be, 
That's a great question. What do you want from the space, right? Mm. Uh, ultimately, is uh, more calm. More you know, calm. Even now, like I think most people come to our space and they're like, this is calm. Now, part of it is... <laughs> yeah, Be- <laughs> Bex, who doesn't have a microphone, just said, hey, we need a, a not blue kitchen. So when we bought the house there, yeah, we have we have some work to do on the kitchen. But even in our living room, which is relatively stark compared to most people's mm-hmm. tastes, I'm like, okay, we've added the, all the, the things that were right for us. But now together, it feels like they almost don't go together oh. just right. Mm. Yeah, so I think sometimes when a room feels off balance, it's because there's not a clear focal point. There's too many little things and yeah. the scale isn't right. So maybe there's too many little things and you need one more central thing. Mm. Um, that's what comes to mind when in my own space when I've been tweaking that last 2% to get it to feel just right, um, which mm. took seven years at my last house. Mm. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And that's something important to keep in mind because I'm the person who really enjoys the arrival. Like yeah, I, I want to get this done. I want it to be completely done. To be perfect means to be completely done, right? right. Not that it's flawless, mm-hmm. but I want it to be done. I want it done now, but also recognizing like that's part of this. It is. Yeah. It, there's there's so much tension for me that I'm always questioning between my design background and my being a minimalist because I'm always thinking we bought a hundred and some year old 1914 home. And so it had already been restored. It's beautiful, 10-foot ceilings, pocket doors, um, wavy glass. Um, and we restored all the trim and the floors and painted and did all that. But now I'm like, I hate our kitchen. Mm. Like when you said the blue kitchen, I was like, our brown kitchen <laughs> from the 90s or whenever. <laughs> and and all this money and all this time and all this energy. I was talking to my husband a couple of weeks ago. I was like, I wonder if I'd be a better renter where I just had to submit. There was no control over the change. Like, what would Mm. I do with all that time and energy? But at the same time, the tension is that I love having those projects, but that I want to finish. Yes. But I I think I'm lying to myself if I say I don't love the journey Mm. and like the struggle and the challenge, like the figuring it out and the trying and failing and trying and failing until it's just, just there. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I got to head on over to minimaonline.com and hire you for <laughs> a, a session. Maybe you can, you can get us to the last 2%. I would, I'd really appreciate that. Yeah. For our added value segment <laughs> this week, Ryan, you are absolutely going to love this. Originally, my added value was there is this Kanye West AI generated music. Have you seen any of this? I have not. It's only a couple of weeks old at this point. So keep in mind, this is the worst it's ever going to be. Yeah. It's just going to get better from here. Yeah. But there's this guy, I'll put a link to this in the show notes since we didn't get to play it. There's a guy who is creating Kanye West covering other artists. The one I was going to play so today cool. was uh, from Coldplay. It was one of the, uh, Coldplay's most famous songs, but it's kind and it really sounds like Kanye. Yeah. Danny and I were talking about it. It sounds like a, a reference track. It's like he didn't go in the studio and record a perfected version of it. Mm-hmm. But it's like, it's like, oh, I didn't know Kanye was the original person who created this. And then Coldplay <laughs> actually went in and perfected. That's what it sounds. It actually wow. sounds like him. We were playing a bunch of different songs, like Drake songs performed by Kanye. Yeah. Uh, Call Me Maybe was by Kanye. <laughs> it was awesome. That's so but that's good. not what we're playing for you today. One of my favorite albums of this year so far is by Rustin Kelly. You may uh, know him from an album he put out last decade. One of my favorite albums of the last decade. It was called Dying Star. His new album is called The Weakness. And a lot of this, I think, has to do with his divorce. He got divorced from uh, Casey Musgraves. 
in the last few years. And there's a, there's a lot going on in this album, but it sounds to me like Nirvana recorded a light country album. Mm. It's not real twangy, so but it is it feels it feels like Nashville, but Nirvana in Nashville. Mm. The song you hear right now in the background, this is Hellfire from Rustin Kelly's new album, The Weakness. That is our show for today, y'all. Big thanks to Kristen Ziegler at Minima for joining us today. Ladies and gentlemen, Kristen Ziegler. (laughs) Thanks so much for coming. It was a pleasure. Uh, So grateful to have you here. On behalf of Ryan Nicodemus, TK Coleman, Malabama Podcast Sean, Jordan No More, Professor Sean, Danny Unknown, Post-Production Peter, and the rest of our team, I'm Joshua Fields Milburn. If you leave here today with just one message, please, let it be this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. Peace.
Oh!